Once I see you, the device works properly. Then release me. I don't much doubt it. You see, before you reactivated it, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. Hello and welcome to another episode of Progressing Polarity, a Doctor Who fancast where we set out to... What was that? Oh my god, something. More like raw versing polarity, am I right? Oh, I love it. Um, where we prove that dinosaurs have always been supporting queer culture, actually. Um, my name yeah. is Aim, my pronouns are they, them. My name is Rosie, my pronouns are also they, them. And God, I wish I had a, a dinosaur joke for that. Uh, I wish it's so deep. I was, I couldn't find my kazoo, so I couldn't do the kazoo intro of Jurassic Park. Um, so oh, you're all welcome. <clears throat> all I have near me is a, like a, a thumb piano. But I don't know how to play it. Yeah. So it's it's like... Ah. Oh, it's so calming. It has the notes on it, but they're just the notes one through seven. So... Is this like <laughs> piano by Enneagram? Uh, yeah, it's like if you're an INFJ, it's really difficult. <laughs> but INFPs, they just know how to play the thumb. Intuitively. Yeah. Much, like, much like I do, yeah. <laughs> Me, an empath. <laughs> oh boy what what cereal are we watching yeah (laughs) which cereal did we watch this we watched the impeccable invasion of the dinosaurs if you hadn't guessed by that um noisy intro which is a (laughs) third doctor story it it finally let us look at the triceratops after 39 episodes (laughs) we've made it so good everything about it beautiful has been achieved Everything after this is just icing. It's going to be like a very fondanty cake. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and the icing is the best part of many cakes. We, we can go into it and make like little, little marzipan flowers and. Yeah. Um, Royal icing, buttercream, but fondant. All sorts. Um, so it's a third Doctor story. <laughs> we've got Sarah Jane and we've got the Unit Fam. Had you seen this one before? Yay! I actually had well, not. Really? Seen this one it seems like such a you story anyway. in like every I way. I think I've always, I think I've always mixed it up in my brain with Carnival of Monsters. Like I see them in my brain as the same story, even though I know they're not. Mm. So I always go, "Isn't Joe in this one?" No, Joe has literally just gone off to Mary Cliff. Sad. Uh, and is the and and the Green Death was the impetus for a couple of things that happened in this story. Continuity, who knew? Um, in our Doctor Who, yeah, Doctor Who has never had continuity. <laughs> There's um, so we recorded this early January for Christmas. Rosie got me the handbook, which is the unofficial and an authorized guide to the production of Doctor Who, and it's split up by Doctor, and each one has a big chapter on like how they did continuity in this era. And I'm just in love with this oh, book. That's so cool. It's so interesting. I can't wait to like properly dive into it. God. Why did I give that to you? Why, <laughs> Why don't you keep, keep it? <laughs> Why? It was because I thought Aim will get more use out of this for the podcast. I can't do all of the no, podcast you can't. Press. No, please, because I will. You die. do the editing, I will, so I will die. Um, 
But yeah, uh, for Christmas, Aim got me a variety of things, all of which I love very You're much. Very well. One of which is is being kept on this tiny, tiny desk. Aww. It's the little. Oh, I like the little chest. I hope you like the little chest. It's, it's very, very cute. cute. I also like the Believe sticker, but I don't know where to put yeah, it yet. So that's very fair. Yeah. Um, my parents got me a subscription to Doctor Who yes. magazine. So very soon, I'm sure I'll be able to read all about Canon Thasmin. Hey. Yeah, baby! Uh, my, my parents got me a rainbow umbrella. They always try and get me something rainbow colour to be like, and we support the LGBTQ in my mum's words, bless her heart. <laughs> so this year it's an umbrella. That's fair. We should talk about Thasmin though, for real. Oh yeah, before we get into the dinosaurs. It's the 9th of January. We are it's nine days January, into Thasmin being, if not canon, at least textual. We have not recorded since the 21st of December. And in the intervening time, many things, many things happened. happened. Christmas happened. Carvanister and Dan artwork has been I on fell TV. Down the stairs. Carvanister and Dan fan art was on television. I fell down the stairs. <laughs> um, I took up running. And sorry. I took up running. Yeah, you did take up running. Doing? There's a lot of things that have happened. But most on importantly, the 1st of January, 2022. Uh, most importantly, 2022 got off to the most amazing start because Yasmin Khan is in love with the Doctor. The, canonically, and it and was very beautifully done with that. I haven't told anyone, not even myself. What a. Ah! Oh, we don't see that part ah! of coming out very often. And I rant a lot about coming out stories being way too prevalent in queer media, but it was a very well done one. Yeah, we haven't really had one in Doctor Who. <laughs> we before. haven't. Um, because our previous queer companions, and there have been a mm-hmm. couple in the new mm-hmm. series, we had Bill, who was already, already out. out as a lesbian and clearly very confident in like herself. Obviously, she wasn't out to everybody, but she was out in like her social life. Yeah. It's... Then we had Clara, who was always kind of, it was treated as sort of an offhand thing. And then Moffat, I think, possibly realised how shit that was and was like, I should probably have an actual lesbian character. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now we're having a character realising that they're gay because the Doctor is just so lesbianic. Like, I adore her. Perfect. And, it's, and Yaz is so... The good. way that the Doctor looked at Yaz with the fireworks overhead. <laughs> Sorry, I just... I I didn't believe it would happen. And like, I was sort of... I wasn't super into Thasmin before the new series because I hadn't watched season 12 and I need to because I promised you that I <laughs> you would did. in Twitter TMs in a fit of mania. You did. Uh, but in flux, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, she's in love with her, isn't it's she? So and then it turned out it actually she is. is. She really is. Yeah. All I need now is for them to go and meet some dinosaurs, and it'll be perfect. The- so it's good they're seeing the sea devils next episode, I guess, because that's close. Sea devils. I mean, by the time this episode the sea comes, so when, when does good. this episode come out? July. So we'll have seen the sea devils by the time you're listening to this. <laughs> we need- this is where I keep delaying. Like secretly, this is why sometimes our podcast getting delayed. I'm like, yes, because it means our We're backlog slowly- is going to shrink. We want to have a bit of a backlog, but our backlog <laughs> at the moment. We want to have. Is- I would like a six episode backlog. And we're on about twelve at the moment. Twelve. <laughs> yeah, we can. We can easily cut that down uh, yeah that, <laughs> it requires as not recording a for a while of, and then a lot of not recording, and then being yeah. in the in the studio again as it were and going yeah. absolutely fucking feral going absolutely fucking bananas we're nearly seven minutes in we've been talking about thousand <sighs> they're in love they're gonna kiss and then they're gonna die and it's gonna be sad but also you know at least it happens <laughs> it's, it's least better it than not um, it's better than I that. had seen Invasion of the Dinosaurs before to get back on topic. Um, Hell yeah. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I watched it about a year ago. Um, yeah, absolute banger. I just adore the dinosaurs. They're very goofy. It's very fucking good. Yeah. I like... I, I loved all of it. I loved the dinosaurs. I loved the politics. Mm. I loved the unit fam. Yes. I loved the drama. I loved the cult. The, the, the techno <laughs> I babble. the themes. Yeah. The themes, Aim. The themes. Malcolm Hulk is a real one. He was fucking genius. Really, really good. 
Malcolm Hulk, the reason the war games is good. That's my conspiracy <laughs> theory, and no one is allowed to disprove me. Oh, oh I cannot wait for our 2024 episode on the war games. Oh my god! Isn't it? Isn't it? Shall shall we shall we oh. shall we um, dive on the back of this pterodactyl? Yeah, we probably should dive on the back of the pterodactyl and find out what happened in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the third Doctor and Sarah. It's so weird to me that he always calls her Sarah, even though in my brain it's Sarah Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, the third Doctor and Sarah arrive in 1970s London to find it has been evacuated because dinosaurs have appeared mysteriously. Now, I do want to say, nothing says it's 1970s. There's no proof that this is the 1970s. I mean, I guess the I'm cars? The unit dating controversy. Also, in this in this serial, they say that the Cold War has been over for some time. Mm. <clears throat> so, like, you know, there's that element of it. Um, to find it has been evacuated because dinosaurs have appeared mysteriously. Not that we see the dinosaurs the for between... quite a while. No, but it's great. As the line between friends and enemies wavers, the Doctor soon discovers the dinosaurs are being brought to London via a time machine to further a plan to revert Earth back to a pre-technological golden age. God, it's a fantastic premise. Fucking good. Absolutely fantastic it's premise. It's fucking good. It's fucking good. Did you know that it was originally a different premise? Yes, I've got it down below. Hell yeah. I've got... Uh, it's just because I've got Inside the TARDIS, nice. so I didn't know if it was available anywhere else. Nice. I've got a... <sighs> we a, can pool our... We can. ...thing. All right. Episode one starts with the Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith arriving in a deserted London in black and white, plagued by looters and lawlessness. There's also a very good boy wandering about. There is a very good boy wandering about. There's a lovely dog. Did I miss the dog? I think this this is a stage where I was flipping between like my Google Doc, the handbook, and realizing just how much of an absolute gem of a book it was because I hadn't stopped to flick through it yet, Um, and I was a bit distracted. It's so fun seeing the deserted London. Also, I was watching this and I was thinking about we're gonna put. I put this in critique for later, but I really want to discuss dystopian narratives in seventies Doctor Who because I find it so interesting. It's also very like just the yeah. Oh. It's a very still start to the episode as well. It's quite quiet. A lot of this episode is qu- the story is quite quiet, quite wordless. It's all like almost silent, yeah. and you just hear like then suddenly this one guy is running down this sort of fire escape, and then he hides mm. because there's some like military people driving past, and you're like, "What the fuck is going on? What is going it's, it's on?" It's some great show don't tell. Uh, Unit is helping maintain martial law. The regular army, oh. headed by General Finch, has a vacuum. God, <laughs> what? I just hate him. I mean, you're right. He has a very despicable mustache and has evacuated the city and issued orders to shoot looters on sight. The brigadier disagrees since it means shooting civilians. The doctor and Sarah encounter several looters and surprisingly a pterodactyl. All very Very, good. I do want to linger. There are some very short summaries in this one, which thank Mm -hmm. God I appreciate. But it also means that we might end up sort of skipping over things. I do really like the tension that they have between the Brigadier and General Fish just in the serial generally. Because we've discussed before, and again, I'm sure we'll discuss it in Critique later, we've discussed UNIT as a military organisation and, like, problematising that in the, the, like, Earthbound part of the season or the series. I think this is such an interesting idea of, like, the Brigadier is an idealised figure of military masculinity, right, mm. versus the reality of it as portrayed by Malcolm Hulk, communist icon. Um... I think it comes across really well that, like, the Brigadier is trapped in this system that won't let him do what he knows is the right mm. thing to do. I think it's... Um, and eventually he just gives up on yeah. it. One of the things that, that Joel pointed out as he was in and out while I was watching this this morning, um, a lot of the times the Brig is very much like this quite ordered opposite to the Doctor. And in this, yeah. the Brig sounds absolutely batshit to this much <laughs> more regimented military dude. 
and it's a nice little parallel yeah. to see. Yeah, it's like the brigadier is the straight man, a uh, straight man, lol, um, to Pertwee, but to everyone else in the military unit is a fucking like it's insane. It's like the unit Muppets, is, like the funny farm of the military. Yeah, <laughs> God, what a concept! I, I and I've been reading Torchwood fan fiction for the last two days, so like, imagine what Torchwood looks like to unit, like. You've got the regular army, and then You've got... you, you know that post that's about how Waluigi is like the, <laughs> the distorted mirror self of Mario. Yeah, so that's a unit to like, the you, army. You invert the you invert the reflection to create, and it's like that's army to unit is Mario to Wario, Wario to Waluigi is unit to, to Torchwood. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> Mario scale. I'm looking up the fucking post because it's one of my favorite pieces of writing in the world. But please do. Let we can hold. Waluigi is the ultimate example of the individual shaped by the signifier. Waluigi is a man seen only in mirror images. Lost in a hall of mirrors, he is a reflection of a reflection of a reflection. Torchwood cannot exist without so many other pieces in the history of media falling into place. If you just made Torchwood, it would be completely incomprehensible. It would have no bearing. It would not have. It would. Be, it, would it wouldn't be Torchwood. It would be Warehouse Thirteen. Yeah, which you've been watching. I have a lot of feelings about. Warehouse house 13 <laughs> oh god i know that hg wells is a lesbian in it or whatever I, mean, I know we've got a lot of time this afternoon to talk but we do not have time to dissect my feelings on how badly they treat that that is really that is really saying something about the recording of this podcast <laughs> listeners <laughs> because you would not believe how much shit i cut from this podcast <laughs> You would not believe the number of conversations that have been excised ruthlessly from reality that will never be regained. Which is a tragedy because everything we say is a work of genius. Anyway. Yes, I do save some of it. Donate to our Patreon. <laughs> Donate to our Patreon and you can hear the un- uncut, the... Yes, I have, just off podcast note, I have quite a lot of rough files saved now. I, 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 lo- get I very much enjoy when I see them occasionally show up on the drive. Yeah, it's so I can listen I love to it. them. Because I like listening I love it. to us. I, yeah, I, I feel like I should listen to our podcast more. I think I'd enjoy it. Yeah, it's it. good. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's because you don't like listening to your yep. own voice. You get over that eventually. Okay. And it's just good Doctor Who opinions. Okay. Uh, anyway, so they've encountered the pterodactyl. So, yes, which looks fucking incredible, and I love everything it. in this story is incredible. The Doctor and Sarah are then arrested on suspicion of being looters. The Doctor is yeah, they 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 steal a car, saying get away. <laughs> he wires a car, so doesn't they get he? Found and that he 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 says I'm I'm looking for a piece of wire so I can hotwire this car. Essentially, so the Doctor displays so many criminal tendencies in this serial that I absolutely adore. Like is. <laughs> feels it feels like nowadays and i don't want to be one of those fans who's like they need to stop using the sonic screwdriver for everything but nowadays they would just use the sonic and it's like no the doctor knows how to pick locks bitch <laughs> the doctor has criminal intent i it also like tracks with parts where he's like this is my last season fuck it let me steal a car yeah give me a cool hovercraft Love do it. it do it give me the cool Can't hovercraft wait. we've got 11 million <laughs> Okay, so they've been arrested and the Doctor is designated as prisoner 177781 and Sarah Jane is designated as prisoner 177782. I love that's where you went. I was more like, who am I? Yeah. 177781! <laughs> oh my god yeah enjoy the audio peaks every time i sing 
I do. I love your surname. Oh, bless you. Um, anyway, so they have numbers and they're sentenced to be incarcerated in a detention centre. Outside, a T-Rex destroys a building and traps some soldiers. They manage to drive it off. I love the build-up to the mm-hmm. reveal of the dinosaurs. I think we should talk about yes. this because after this they They're appear fairly regularly. But in the first episode, you're like, why are these houses like bombed out? What's happening? Who's been attacking them? Great. It must have been so interesting to watch this at the time because obviously this is still well within living memory of the Blitz for some yeah. of the parents. So they're watching it and they're like, oh God, oh God, oh God. Ah, casual um, bit of trauma in my Doctor Who. But then, like, they hear this loud crashing noise because this looter that they met and then it turned out that he was, like, he, like, whatever. He runs off um, and they go out after him after this loud noise and his car has been crumpled at the front and he is lying on the pavement dead with his skull caved in, essentially. Yeah. Intense. It's pretty it's brutal. Very intense. It's pretty graphic. Yeah. It, um, it does feel like this story is kind of sanitised. They could have gone further with it, but there are moments like that that are very intense. Yeah, I think it's partly that they didn't want to have to like replace the dinosaur puppets after the T-Rex inevitably ripped off bits of the dinosaur puppets. They're like, we don't have the money to replace the dinosaur puppets. Sad. We didn't have the money for the dinosaur puppets to begin with. We cannot afford two of them. <laughs> they look amazing, though. But yeah, the, the tension building them up fantastic. worked very, very effectively. Yeah. And then when they actually appear by, like, emerging from this destroyed building, it's actually quite effective for all that... And to be real for a second, we acknowledge it is not the most skillful portrayal of dinosaurs in stop motion. It was 1974. It was 1974 on a television budget where they'd already spent a lot of money on sets and actors Mm -hmm. and a Hoomobile. It's still, like, very fun to watch, and you get the idea. Like, the dinosaurs are not there to be a serious antagonist in the story. They're an environmental hazard that our heroes must avoid. I think it's also, like, the amount of suspension of disbelief that this show demands from you to begin with. Like, yeah. last last story was that the Time Warrior, we were down with some Tarans in the... Um... Yeah, baked potato friends. Baked potato the, buddies. The pointy hat <laughs> revealed a pointy head. <laughs> But the I've been looking through the Doctor Who cuttings archive. It's great. Um, the the um, amount of suspension of disbelief from that to this isn't that dissimilar. It fit, it, it tracks with the internal logic of the show and what the show is asking of its viewers. Yeah. I like it a lot. <sighs> anyway, at the school serving as Unit HQ, the Woo. Brigadier and Benton discuss the interference problems with their communications and look at the latest pictures of looters, which includes the Doctor and Sarah. Grinning very cheerfully. <laughs> I love them. Come on, let's have one together. <laughs> I love them. The Doctor and Sarah. Oh, she's perfect. Very good. They, she's perfect. They escape, but they're caught by soldiers. They're loaded into the back of a Land Rover to be taken to the detention centre. The Land Rover encounters a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yes. <laughs> That's great. That's great because he had them sort of like peeking. The Doctor and Sarah peeking through this effectively curtain in the Land Rover, and this T Rex looming out of this. Oh god, out of the building. It's so good. Yeah, I think the direction is quite effective. Mm. Um, of like, there are a couple of shots where the dinosaurs are in like dark rooms where they actually look pretty good, and I'm like, oh, it's the framing that's also the problem. Mm. That's also the issue. Um, yeah. So that that's episode one. I think it's yeah, such a great bang. Everything's wrong setup. Yeah, I think the whole serial is very well paced. It's another six parter that is just so good, mm. and you're like, ah, yes, they they did do this effectively. <laughs> there was a reason that they did six parter, and it's a six parter that allows itself to breathe as well. <laughs> like it's got lots. Yeah, of like it has mo- looks- the correct amount of things going. Yeah, on. it doesn't try to overstuff it. Yeah, yeah. Thank God for Malcolm Hulk, yeah. communist icon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you want to take us on to um, episode two? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, while the soldiers fight in the tyra- fight in the Tyrannosaurus. Oh boy, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, while the soldiers fight the Tyrannosaurus, the Doctor and Sarah escape and hide in a garage. They find a medieval peasant from the days of King John already there, who, believing the Doctor to be a wizard who has put a spell on him, attacks the Time Lord with a knife before disappearing in a time eddy. This is such a fantastic like scene to establish that the dinosaurs are being pulled through time brought to the present yep. rather than there being cut some kind of like rift activity mm. like in torchwood like the idea that this was an accident and then he was returned because it was an accident although it's a bit of a fucking accident <laughs> to be 70 million years off <laughs> hey hey we all have bad days like we know they're not specifically aiming for the triassic or jurassic or cretaceous or whatever they're just aiming for dinosaurs and they get this lad <laughs> This poor lad who thinks he's been cursed it's by just a somebody forgetting a decimal point somewhere along the way. Yeah, you know, uh. he he spilled his coffee on the thing and it accidentally plucked someone from the awakening. No, the awakening's the wrong time because making it. No, but it is it does have a little um similarity with the awakening. Yeah, especially the poor lad who gets pulled through time. Who really should have stayed and been a companion. <laughs> really should have. But you know, they had to save the money for Chameleon. <laughs> our boy. Shout out to our pal Dom for writing yes. the Chameleon show. Have you listened trip. to it yet? I have because I, I don't have the money for forty, but I do want to. I'm looking forward I to it. I may use the illicit Google, the illicit Mega Drive link at some <laughs> point, but you know. I try not to. I did get one big finish audio for Christmas. Nice. I was very pleased. It's set in World War Two with Ben, Polly, Jamie and two. And the Doctor and, and the Master as played by the shit guy. But I do like the Master. So um, um, I need to listen to more Big Finish. Yeah, you do. Have you listened to Spare Parts I haven't yet? listened to Spare Parts yet. I was listening to our Moonbase episode. And I said earlier. I would you listen. You said you would watch it the day after we had recorded. I am evidently <laughs> not reliable. You're re- go when you're going for your run. Listen to the listen to Spare Parts. <laughs> that sounds like exactly the sort of thing I need to to get me moving. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love, he gets attacked with a knife and then he just disappears and you're like, what the fuck? Um, soldiers search the area and the brigadier enters the garage and the doctor nearly attacks him. He goes like, hiya! Oh, brigadier, I'm sorry. (laughs) I love I'm very sorry, husband. I didn't notice it was you, dear husband. I love them. Um, They're very married, this serial, I think. Just the level of, like, the level of, uh, synchronicity that they achieve. They're really on the same page. Yeah. And even when they try and frame the Doctor later, the Brigadier is still like, I have to put you under arrest, but I am aware that you didn't do this. <laughs> it's like, I know that you were in the past. Finch doesn't know that you were in the past, <laughs> but I know that you were yeah, in the past. <laughs> it's very good. I, I, I enjoy it's their interaction. Good. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, back at Unit HQ, the Brigadier explains the situation to the Doctor, <laughs> with help from Benton and his lovely colour-coded map <laughs> pins. He's, it's, I love Benton. I love Benton so much. Um, dinosaurs appear and disappear. The city has been evacuated and loot has run rampant. The Doctor is introduced to Finch, who is in charge of the operation. Finch doesn't think the Doctor will be much help, but rather finds his ideas unrealistic. Hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. Sarah talks with Mike Yates, who needed some time off after the experience with the giant maggots. Now, I don't remember exactly what happens in the Green Death, but I'm pretty sure Mike Yates has a pretty bad time in it. Yeah, so it's like, it's, um, it's, it's like in that episode of the Magnus Archives. Uh, the one where Martin is trapped in his apartment for two weeks. Yeah, they're all eaten by maggots. Yeah. yeah. God, I love yeah. that show. Jane Prentice was waiting in the mines and Mike Yates went down and there was a really weird woman who was a human wasp nest <laughs> and he was like, this doesn't seem right. Bye. I'm going on leave. That's exactly what happened. 
Um, God, listen to the Magnus Archives. Listeners. It's good. It's good. It, it means that at least three um, times a day you'll be able to point at something and say, "Ah, oh, yes, like the Magnus Archives." It's a curse. Yeah, which one's John? Which one's John? And which one's Martin? That's me and Sam's game. <laughs> <laughs> where we hold up two items and we go, which one's John, which one's Martin? Um, <laughs> which started with sort of, you know, normal things like teddy bears and like cartoon characters. And now it's got to like pointing at two like abstract drawings and going, which one's John and which one's Martin? <laughs> In this podcast with the two of us, which one's John and which one's Martin? Um, I think it depends on the day. Like you live in Oxford. I do, yeah. So that does curse me. I work for the university, so... Hmm. That does give me some unfortunate John vibes. Listeners, which one of us is John and which one is Martin? Tweet us with um, as little explanation as you can manage. Please do. Please do. Go on, let's let's keep going. <sighs> yeah, shit. Where was I? Um A Stegosaurus! Sorry, yes! Um, <laughs> the steg a Stegosaurus so good. has been trapped and the doctor wants it taken alive. However, it disappears in a time eddy that makes mm. time run backwards. The people affected would not remember it happening. The doctor suspects someone is deliberately bringing the dinosaurs to London, and in a hidden laboratory, a pair of scientists, Butler and Professor Whitaker, are operating the time technology causing the situation. It's, it's, it's a brilliant little reveal, little um, addition yeah. to the plot. And an even more brilliant reveal. Oh. They are aided by Mike oh Yates, my who feels God. the doctor could help them achieve Operation Golden Age. Ooh. But Whitaker is unconvinced. This fucking... I felt betrayed. I know. I felt betrayed. I, I remember the first time watching this being like, what the fuck, Mike? What the fuck? Like, I sort of knew this happened because I've seen Planet of the Spiders, mm. but I'd not experienced the betrayal it, before. It cuts. It, it really... Especially... I haven't even seen all of his stories. Yeah, you, there's so much time spent with the unit fam in the first two seasons mm. with the third doctor. But for it's this like, to happen? This is the kind of story you can have when you have the Earthbound Doctor mm, story. Mm-hmm. Whereas nowadays, it's harder to have that level of betrayal pulled off, which I think is why they don't do it very much. Like, Adam betrays the Doctor after one episode by doing some dumb yeah. shit, but it's not the same thing, you know? I mean, if Flux had been 10 episodes, they could have managed it then. Yeah, that would have been good. I have a lot of if Flux shit. was 10 episodes thoughts. If Flux was 10 episodes, then Claire the Weeping Angel could have had a bit more. They could have all had a bit more. We could have had a full episode that was just um, Dan, Yaz and Jericho travelling the world. Just that. Yeah. Yeah. Dan missing Carvinista. Yaz missing 13. Jericho missing (laughs) parapsychology. Jericho missing missing not having post-traumatic stress disorder, (laughs) which would have been quite a long time in the past. Yeah. yeah, he tells Mike to sabotage the stun gun the Doctor is building to use on the dinosaurs. There's so much sabotaging going on in this. And Mike Yates is always like, I didn't want that to happen when I did the sabotage. And it's like, you need to own the consequences of your actions, Michael. <laughs> um, one of, yeah, uh, the Doctor believes the dinosaurs are a distraction by someone who needs London evacuated. When a brontosaurus appears, he heads out to capture it. Mike sabotages his stun gun and it doesn't work on the brontosaurus. Ooh. The time eddy takes away the brontosaurus and a tyrannosaurus rex appears behind the doctor. Oh no! I love that so much. <laughs> I, I love how ridiculous... I, I think this is where the story really, really succeeds, is that you have this... The dinosaurs are there. That's easy to follow for especially the younger kids. You can see the fear. But then you have all of like, like the sabotage, the backstabbing, the double crossing... The, yeah. um, the political ramifications of what's going on. The complexity of it all. The chewy themes. The eco-fascism. Oh my god, I can't wait to talk about the eco-fascism. A wonderful sentence for our Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> I love our Doctor Who podcast. Guy, listeners, don't you just love how good our Doctor Who podcast is? I think they do. Top 10 Who Community Awards. That's, That's 
honestly more than 10 more than 10 podcasts were nominated and we got into the top 10 i have no idea how we did that i'm very very other than the fact that we're obviously the best at podcasting we're really really good at podcasting <laughs> um we need to do more promo but i don't know how i i how do people promo things what we should now <laughs> uh, we can talk about this when we're not recording <laughs> Yeah, after this episode, <laughs> we can talk about promo. Um, episode three? Yeah, go, go on, go on. I just want to say, again, the fucking episode, it bangs. It's really good. You're watching it like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. They get to the finale and you're like, how the fuck is already the whole episode it, gone It by? goes so, so quickly. So stressed. It's fantastic. Oh, third Doctor era is just wall-to-wall bangers, honestly. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it's so good. Episode three. The Doctor falls, yeah. dropping the gun, which Yates picks up. He undoes his sabotage and fires at the Tyrannosaurus. The creature is captured and brought back to a hangar. Yates is angry at Butler and Whitaker for trying to kill the Doctor, but agrees to perform further acts of sabotage, specifically against the machinery being used to record from where the dinosaur appearances are controlled. He is in so deep that he doesn't even realise it. And it's also very much the, no, I don't like what you did. Sure, I'll do more. That that level of, the Kool-Aid has been drunk. Yeah, it, there's a level of cultish behaviour in this that I find very oh, interesting. Oh, especially in the latter half? This, and when he ends up in Planet of the Spiders and he has essentially joined a cult and you're like, oh, Mike, no. Mike, no. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of cult energy yeah. in this story. And groupthink energy, I think, as well, which is... Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of sort of reinforcing of incorrect ideas. It's all... We're on a spaceship. No, you're not. <laughs> you're in a basement in, like, fucking Finchley. Maybe they just misheard. Spaceship, basement, basement. Maybe. 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 No. maybe. Um, Sarah has been doing some research into time travel and mentions whoop, whoop. Whitaker. The Brigadier... Whoop, whoop. Is that... She's just doing research. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> journalism she went i've talked to some of my journalistic contacts in the north and they told me so they 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 included that line because um elizabeth sladen's originally from liverpool and while she dropped most of the accent occasionally it would just slip out and they decided to put a line about her being from the north in just just to cover themselves (laughs) when it does slip out and i i I love that they did that they're not letting a liverpudlian companion on until very recently (laughs) only recently has that taboo been broken by ally dan true ally where is dan to be my personal wingman that's so true um so the brigadier remembers the name and the doctor wants to check up on him and everyone's saying he sounds very sound he has um he's well respected by his colleagues and the editor of nature and all that jazz yeah they're they're like well we heard about this guy and he'd done all this research and they said he was really good at science and finch is like oh no 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 he's terrible at science (laughs) i would never hire him to do any secret projects Oh boy. And fucking Grover. I don't think this is even mentioned. Oh, Grover's about to be mentioned, but I'm also a bit like, this has already come up a couple of times. There's an MP who shows up in like the first or second episode, and he's just kind of like an avuncular character who I was immediately on the back foot with because I was like, this man's a Tory. He, um, he does have very Tory, a very Tory office. Very Tory energy. Mm. And he's sort of presented in like this kind of affable way, and you're like, mm. something's wrong with this. And this episode, we find out why. Yep. Um, the, tisor- t- 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 the Tyrannosaurus is freed by Finch, who breaks its chains. Sarah is attempting to take pictures of it when it awakens and moves to attack her. She finds the door has been locked from the outside. I thought Yates broke the chain. Uh, or was it Yates who hold- held the chains and said they'd been broken through? Or was it Or was it Yates who... S- oh no, he sabotages the machinery. Mm. I don't think... Maybe he doesn't do the chains. There's a lot of people in military uniforms in this. <laughs> a lot of white men. There's a lot of white men. Yeah. 
Um, Sarah finds the door has been locked from the outside. Before the dinosaur can get to Sarah, the doctor finds and rescues her, though she's slightly injured. She then sets off to gather her own evidence. So she meets with this Sir Charles Grover, an ecologist MP who is acting minister with special responsibilities in London, and we do not trust him. Which is good, because he drugs her. Yeah. When she wakes... They, like... Go on. Go, go, go. They, they, he is such an... Asshole? He does it so interestingly in, like, in, in getting her to trust him so that he can drug her and put her on a fake spaceship, right? Like, he follows along with everything, and he goes into these secret military files or whatever, and he's, like, inviting her into the secret, and then he, like, you know drugs her tea or whatever and you go oh no No. he was evil the whole time who would have guessed from his terrible perspectives on abortion (laughs) like yeah uh when she wakes up she's astounded to find herself on a vast spaceship and i love this scene um it's fucking she wakes up there's this guy watching over her and she's like what's happening what's going on is told she's on a spaceship goes over to look sees the earth far away and is told she's been on the ship for three months yeah, it's a it's a mind fuck. It's something. It's it's so good. I mean, I most of watching this episode, um, I was in a little bit of a um passive aggressive mood because I was meeting up with a friend for a walk, and the friend was like, oh, "Shit, I forgot to take an LFT. We're gonna need to push back half an hour." And I'm like, "Plan your day better." And then we got to the end of this episode, yeah. and I'm like, "It's so good. It has lifted all it's of my so passive good. annoyance." Little bit of hypnotism at the very end with the with the shining lights and she's like tipping her head side to side and the next episode we're gonna get a little bit more attempted hypnotism. Yes. And like finally, this is what Doctor Who is about. It's about mind <laughs> we're control. Back to hypnosis. I mean it's actually about gays, but it's also about mind control. Doctor Who just isn't Doctor Who without minor levels of hypnosis and telepathy. <laughs> yep. Uh yeah, it's it's great. That was episode three. Again, it's like that's that's the stuff that happens, but it happens in such depth that it fills the time very yeah, well. Yeah, it's really um it's not contemplatively paced, but it gives itself space to breathe and reflect on what's going on. It doesn't jump you from one thing to another. Yeah, it's sort of um it it just unrolls very naturally. Like everything has natural consequences that unfold and you go, Oh, and then those things have consequences and they unfold and mm. it'll you know it means that things wrap up and commence at different points and it all works out quite well. Mm-hmm. Um I just wanna, you know, mention how good the unit fam is in this serial. I love them. <laughs> it's just nice to have them there. I like them being yeah. there. I miss them when they're not there. Like in the Time Warrior, they're there for like three minutes and then we're in the past. And I'm like, this is okay, but... But it's not the same. Where's the Brigadier? Where's the the Brigadier? I need the Brig and the Doctor just to be in the same room. Yeah. God. I'm just imagining what Joe would be like in this story also. Because I imagine they must have at least started conceptualising it for Joe. And then obviously Mm. Katie Manning left. Um, Because she's more of a hippy-dippy kind of character. So would she have ended up being brought in by Mike into this thing? And then she's like, this is not good, Mike. That would be interesting, especially when, when they were trying to pitch... Mike is her love interest, which never panned out. Yeah, because they're both gay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they could have had that like solidarity friendship. They could have had a solidarity friendship. And in my heart, they did. And they went gay clubbing together. <laughs> yeah. That's the night on the town that they had as they went gay clubbing together. Yes. Oh, I love them both very much. I think yeah. that Joe would have been distraught and to then, know that Yates was a traitor. Yeah. yeah. That it's would have been. It's a good thing she's in the Amazon yeah. away from any contact whatsoever. <laughs> Oh, I spilled some soup on my jumper. Anyway. Oh, no. All right, episode four. The crew of the ship includes Mark, Adam, and Ruth, minor British celebrities who have adopted new aliases and lives. Yeah, Ruth is like this MP who had put forward a bill about litter or something or pollution in the air. Mm. 
And Mark is a is an Olympic athlete. Who jumped two point three two in the high jump or something. Two point six three two. It was it was a very very high jump. I was like, that sounds. Impressive. I think it according to the show notes, it was two point three two because it matched the record set at the nineteen seventy two Olympics. Ah, I remember there being I remember there being three decimal points, but that might just be my terrible (laughs) memory. Um, and also Adam is like a a, somebody wrote a book about the environment. Like you're starting to see the reason that they're Mm. all there. Um, they need virile young athletes to repopulate the species, and they need old people who care about the environment to boss people around. Mm. Yes. Uh, They tell her they are en route to a new Earth where mankind can begin again closer to nature. They left Earth three months earlier. The ship is one of a fleet carrying over 200 people to a new life. Sarah is committed to the re-education program to enable her to think like them. Ah, brainwashing. There's a fucking, like, video screen they show of a bunch of people in freezer rooms. Like, it... It really struck me as such a 70s and 80s sci-fi thing yeah. as the cryo-sleep. Yep. Like, obviously, it still occurs, but it's not... Th- like, they literally look like fucking like chickens in a freezer that is lying on these shelves in the wall. Mm. By the time you get to Alien, it's like the stylistic thing where they're all in these pods that have, like, lids that lift, like, flower petals or whatever. So, sort of, the, the design aesthetic is not there with these guys. <laughs> they, they don't no. have the aesthetics that are necessary to make an appealing spaceship um maybe that's the first clue that it's not actually a spaceship maybe and also just like there's many clues i would say no concerns about oxygen Mm. no concerns about gravity or anti-gravity yeah Um, no concerns in general no concerns they're just like yeah whatever we're on a spaceship who cares who gives a shit (laughs) it's fine um none of them really like it takes them a while to question how sarah got onto the ship you'd think there'd be a passenger manifest of some kind or if they'd been on the ship for that long they would at least have recognized people who were there well if they've all been stuck in a bag on a shelf i guess not Um, it's so wild it's so wild i love doctor who so much it kind of reminds me of the bit in horns of naimon where they have all the people who are like vacuum packed into a wall i love do you remember that i i unfortunately yes (laughs) <laughs> unfortunately it's, it's it's not it's not good on the brain feel it's it's nyman nyman is you know all praise nyman all hail nyman <laughs> the great and powerful one nyman that there is there's only one. Uh, god <laughs> oh my god <laughs> fucking anyway um the re-education program is like a, a documentary about how bad pollution is and we sort of see more of it over time and it's about like these terrible violent riots that can only be put down with more violence and i'm like oh okay these are these are conservative right-wing fascist like mm. you know it goes from conservative to right-wing to fascist quite very quickly very quickly in um, about 15 minutes in about 15 minutes. Um, the Doctor searches London in his new vehicle, the Hoomobile. All praise to the Hoomobile. I love the Hoomobile. He's like, Brigadier, have you had my new car brought over from HQ? And, and Brigadier's like, I don't see how you're going to get much more out of that than you would out of any other car. <laughs> Why don't you let me get you a Jeep? And the Doctor's like, no, no I must I go must with my have... really cool machine. I think the Hoomobile is actually perfect in every imaginable way. I think it's it fucking beautiful. Is. Who won? Who won? John Pertwee won. John Pertwee. He won by having the Hoomobile. I think at this stage, John Pertwee won everything he was going for. Perfect. Wonderful. Perfect guy. Never did anything wrong, probably. No, I can't go over... I've got it in the document later, but the photo of John Pertwee and his son in the Hoomobile is very cute. Is that the one that you put? Yeah, it's it's in the doc. The the Sean Pertwee, who will grow up to be... 
in a variety of movies as very foul-mouthed characters. It's very sweet to imagine him as like a three-year-old in the Who movie. That's really cute. I just love it. It just looks exactly like what you'd want a 70s fancy car to look like. Yeah, basically. Is it a crime that we haven't had a motorhead doctor since three? Yes. I always imagine 12 as being a motorhead, but I don't know that we actually see him do it. At some point, 11 rides a motorbike. I remember that. Oh, that's in the Let's Go Hitler one, isn't it? I think Rory's riding it in that one. Okay. I swear there's one where Eleven and Clara ride a motorcycle, but I might be misremembering. I'll get there in in um in my new Who rewatch at some point. Where are you in your current rewatch? We just we just had um Human Nature and Family of Blood. Ooh. Holy shit! I I just I love that double two party so much. I love the themes. I love the atmosphere. I love. It's asking what does it mean to be the Doctor and what does it mean... To, what do you give up when you become this person? And that fits so well with Martha's themes of what do you give up when you travel with the Doctor? And it's fantastic. And Paul Connell gets the ghost story vibes right down, even though it's not even a ghost story. The, the spectre of war, the fact that it's a time travel series and there's a bit where the headmaster of the school makes a comment about if there's another war and any other episode you'd expect the doctor to be giving him this dark look knowing what's coming and the absence of that is so powerful oh god i love it yeah it's mad we we can't we can't be talking about <laughs> about new who we can't, talking, we can't be talking about new who we can't be doing it the themes are too strong oh uh, anyway that's where i'm at i will get to the cloud of it soon and then i'll be able to Okay, you'll never guess. It was fuck. It's in fucking Day of the Doctor. Ugh, <laughs> ugh, <laughs> oh, one day you'll have to it. watch it again. I know. Um, shit, where will we? Okay. Um, the Doctor searches London in his new vehicle, the Human. Yeah. This is what began it all. Um, under Moorgate Station, he finds the base used by Whitaker and Butler, but is scared away when they use a pterodactyl to defend it. So he goes in through this lift, and they go, "Oh my god, someone's using the blue lift!" And then they like guide him around the inside of the base and out again to the same place he started up the lift and mm-hmm. out and there's a pterodactyl waiting so good. it's incredible and the fact that they've chosen and a pterodactyl of all things to be the sort of the little shot of the pterodactyl in its native habitat is oh, also so perfect. cute the only time we see a dinosaur in its native habitat it's in the wonderful. story it's very cute Yes, he returns with the brigadier, but all signs of occupation have been removed. When he makes the do- the brigadier come and stand in a very small cupboard with him, <laughs> and it's and it's got it's got the subtext. Seven minutes in heaven, am I right? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so there's it's, he goes into this cupboard, and one of the, the the hooks on the wall turns. But when he comes back with the brigadier, they've taken all the hooks off the wall, so you can't use the mechanism. Mm. But the brigadier does re- does believe him eventually. Um, I kind of love the Brigadier's like attitude of being like, God, is he making shit up again? <laughs> As if he's ever made any shit up. <laughs> like, Maybe we never see them at the pub together. Yeah, I love. Oh God, imagine how good that would be. Just unit pub nights, a pub quiz. Oh my God, people. the doctors. They're like, that's not right. Joe be the one running. <laughs> Joe, Joe and Mike running the pub quiz. Yes. Oh my God. Social oh secretaries. My God, imagine how good that would be. <laughs> Can we have a short trip about this, please? <laughs> <clears throat> yes yes we can god god right um <laughs> besides the music round in that inevitable <laughs> quiz um joe would have Operation got super Bond into Bond abba continue 
Yep, 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 yep. Operation Golden Age is revealed to be a broad conspiracy including Whitaker, Butler, Yates, Grover and Finch as its core coordinators. They have emptied London to revert it to a more natural state, after which the people on the spaceships, which are actually vast bunkers, will be allowed to out to repopulate a clean and free planet. Whitaker also works out how to reverse time, so soon humanity, apart from their own chosen specimens, will never have existed. This is the ultimate genocide it's, of, of all of the Doctor Who genocides. It's pretty say. bad. I think they don't actually go deep enough into just how fucking bad it is yeah i think maybe they didn't want to get the kids with the existential terror (laughs) cowards like they're dealing with enough existential terror already (laughs) living as children in 1974 yeah so like god i was in a charity shop recently and there was a robert swindles book and i was like oh okay and i picked it up and on the front there was just a gigantic mushroom cloud and i put it back on the shelf Uh, i think you made a good choice yeah, and then I, I did open it temporarily and it was very optimistic and I was like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. <clears throat> there was like a whole vogue in the 70s for like nuclear winter children's fiction, which is insane. I'm sure I and must I have read some of it in my youth going through the public Possibly. library stuff. I can't imagine they were very pop. Like, I imagine they would have turned up in school libraries and stuff, but I also imagine they would have been weeded quite quickly. They would be like, we can't have this. I don't know. We can't be causing the kids the anxieties. Um, by the time we were kids, anyway. Yeah. In the in the 90s. Late 90s, I say. You're old. You know, you're way older than me. Way Three older. Three whole years. Unbelievable age gap. <laughs> Doctor Who fandom's going to call it problematic, eh? <laughs> Well, late they can call it problematic just because I had three more years of my teenagerhood without a smartphone than you. <laughs> well, I didn't get a smartphone until I was fairly ancient. So. That's fair. But yeah, um, this whole this whole scheme, and again, we will talk about it in critique. Mm. It is so fascinating the angle Malcolm Holt takes on it because I think it would be quite easy. And I actually did steal this point from Romana on the R- Lily Romana on the Discord. So thank you, Lily. Um, <coughs> but like the fact that it takes the conservative eco-fascist sort of returning to a golden age perspective on it rather than the progression of hippies being like oh we want to save the planet it's you know how could the lefties ever do such a terrible thing as to want to destroy the planet how ironic um little do they like it's 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 a much more left-wing take on the concept that i really enjoy Mm. rather than being like environmentalism is actually going to destroy the planet if you think about it yeah it feels like it's it's including these other personas in it makes it in what could otherwise be a very military story, quite a human story. Yeah. It invites a bigger debate to it, I think. A bigger conversation. Which is good. Yeah. Thank you, Malcolm Holt, communist <laughs> icon. <coughs> oh, boy. Um, Finch tries to frame the Doctor, who he knows will not support their plans. He brings the Brigadier to the Doctor, catching him in the act as a new time eddy starts up. This is hysterical, because... At what point, like, the, the the Doctor and the Brigadier have been in the same place as dinosaurs appeared before. Where, where does the Brigadier think the dinosaurs are coming from? Does the Brigadier think the Doctor has a dinosaur gun that he shoots and the dinosaurs appear? I think the Brigadier like, has known the Doctor long enough to doubt that as an option. Yeah, it's like, you know, Finch thinks he's got a gotcha here, but the Brigadier doesn't believe this. It's fairly clear the Brigadier is like... <sighs> I have to arrest him or General Finch is going to court-martial me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did put a note here because unfortunately, <laughs> as the line... Sorry. Uh, I was, as the line, um, the Doctor says, and soon it's going to reach its climax or whatever, I was at that very second on Twitter looking at the Dundee <laughs> Stefan art being shown on the John Bishop show. God, that clip has destroyed me. I haven't even watched the clip because oh, I'm too embarrassed. Oh, boy. I, it's. I mean, thank God he's got a good humour. Yeah, it's it. not done meanly. It could have been a 
really mean segment and it's not that. Yeah. It's just, it, like, admittedly, very, very weird. <laughs> very weird experience. Yeah. To be like, oh, yeah, people are drawing this six foot four dog fucking me. Um, weird one. Weird life to lead. Didn't expect the six foot four dog. <laughs> uh, they used... Also, I like that he specifically said six foot four dog. <laughs> oh, boy. What, what a world. Soon yeah. it's going to reach its climax. Uh, shall, we, shall we jump on to the very brief summary for episode five? Yes, absolutely. Very, as you say, heroically brief. Um, the doctor soon twigs that an overzealous Yates is the unit mole. He accuses him to his face in the unit HQ. It's very It's good. very uh, intense. <clears throat> Sergeant Benton lets the doctor escape, for which Finch threatens a court-martial. Yeah, baby. Benton, like, <laughs> everyone leaves. Um, the The... The the brigadier says to no this comes later. Um, the Benton says to the doctor like, okay, so doctor, what's the plan? And then the doctor tells him his plan, and Benton is like, so now we're, you're gonna have to subdue me, right? You're gonna have to use some of your Venusian martial arts or whatever. Mm. Which little bit horny, little bit horny, I think. Oh, um, it's very um, very very the, close. They stand. Yeah, and and then the doctor does like a, a Vulcan nerve pinch or whatever. Yeah. Um, I love this so much. Benton is a good egg. He is inherently a very good egg. I like Benton. Like, I love him. I think he's great. I want him back. John Levine is still alive. It could Please. happen. Hey, Russell T. Davis, we know you're listening. We have Kate Stewart having drinks with Benton, and then oh. they get interrupted by the doctor. Oh my that god, be that'd good. be glorious. Benton can be reminiscing about the pub quiz. Oh, <laughs> they could be doing a pub quiz. <laughs> They'd be like, man, this was much better when Joe was here. And Kate's like, I can call her. I can call Joe. And then <clears> at <throat> the end of the episode, she's FaceTiming Katie Manning. That would be really oh. good. God, I love Katie Manning. God, she's so good. Um, the Doctor uses his freedom to track down more monsters, but when he's recaptured, the Brigadier asserts his, asserts his authority and takes the Doctor into <laughs> unit custody rather than the regular armies. This man is my responsibility. <laughs> I said so in the vows. Yes, exactly. Till death do us part, which is going to be very difficult on his half. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sarah has escaped from the fake spaceship. She has learned its true nature. She's caught by Finch, who returns her to Whitaker's custody. She's very trusting custody. in this serial, where she, she gets out and she immediately tells Finch everything. And Finch is like, oh, wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, I'm in on it. Uh, and I will be returning you to the terrible place with the bad the bad stuff that's happening. Um, it fits sorry. so much with this character as well. Like You're like, yeah, I'm not surprised, you asshole. I think Sarah Sarah comes off a lot better in this serial. Malcolm Holt clearly likes her a lot more. Like She's still a bit naive, but she doesn't feel as actively gullible as she did in The Time Warrior. Yeah, she and again, it's, she gets a lot to do and a lot of putting things together. She gets to be she this does. journalist. There's a lovely bit earlier when she's... Um, in unit HQ and is told to leave because she's a civilian. And she's like, I'm the, I'm the doctor's assistant. Right? And then the doctor goes, oh, yes. Yeah, so what have you say? Because he's not listening. And Benton's like, I'll get you a pass. Stay away from it. It's very good. Yeah. Anyway, while Sarah's... Is it Benton or Yates? I think Yates, Yates says that he'll is get it her Yates? I think Yates says he will because he wants her in because he wants... That's true, yeah. ...to get the doctor on side with his thing. Mm. Mm. You might be right. I might have misremembered. Mm. Who knows? Well, I'm not rewatching the whole thing yet. I will one day because it banged, but six parts is long. It's a lot. Um, I woke up very early this morning. Oh, bless you. How was your Sainsbury's delivery? It was great. It arrived on the dot of seven. Icon. AM. To the listener, yesterday I felt 
rotten. So I did a COVID test and I don't have COVID, but Yay. I just have a cold. And it was raining and I was like, I don't want to go to the shop. And then I thought, I can get a Sainsbury's delivery for tomorrow. And I checked the slots and the only slots were 6 to 7, 7 to 8, or 10 to 11 p.m. Ooh. And I was like, I'm going to do 7 to 8. Yeah, you'd best choice out of a bad, bad combo there. And then the delivery man asked me how I was. I said, oh, I'm good. I've just woken up. And he said, oh, it's all right for some. <laughs> Wow. I feel like that's a reasonable On a Sunday, if you're not working a shift. Honestly, the man absolutely read me for filth. It was incredible. <laughs> to any Sainsbury's delivery drivers listening to this while you're making your way around, you are heroes. You are heroes. Thank we you. We appreciate you very much. Thank you for bringing me my 24 pack of Diet Coke. Oh, I got foods. Oh. Anyway, Doctor Who, while Sarah's away, Mark works out that the ship is a fake and tells the other passengers but they don't believe him. When Sarah... Yeah, Mark gets sent to the re-education bit again because yep. he's like, she left. You realise that she left, right? She left the spaceship and we didn't notice. Um, so he goes to the re-education thing and this is where they're like, and then there's these terrible riots by violent people. Mm. Um, the only solution is more violence, not changing the laws to make <laughs> things better. It's... Mm. And th- this is where another one has... has I don't know. Another one of them has a comment like, I think we might, we might need to be using the re-education centres a bit more. And it's very cultish. <laughs> yeah. Just the term re-education. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Mm, <laughs> brainwashing. Uh, get that brain soap out. Yes. Uh, when Sarah is returned to the ship, Mark and her use the fake airlock to convince Ruth and the others of the deception. The Doctor encounters another time Eddie and is faced by more dinosaurs. End of episode. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of dinosaurs in this serial, and that's good. And we that's like right it. We like the correct. doctors. The doctors and the dinosaurs. Yes, yes. the doctorsaurs. The doctorsaurs. Um, yeah, so episode six. This is just a very good story, and I think you should watch it. <laughs> um, just everyone. Mm, it's really watch good. It. Watch the dinosaurs. It's... If they ever replace the effects in this story, I will go on hunger strike. I'm so serious. <laughs> it's so... I We discussed a bit in extensively in our kinder episode about how perfect the big snake was yes big snake big snake snake. snake. we love big snake big floppy snake these are similar tiers of perfect props perfect use of what you've got they're very round they're very squishy yes that like the the t-rex when it gets up in the the warehouse we didn't mention this it genuinely looks like it's being inflated like about yeah like one of those little like wavy things that they have at the car wash yeah that was what i was thinking the the long men the floppy men dinosaurs are floppy men you heard it here first i'm doing the arms i'm doing the arms right now and all of my bones are clicking but it's worth it is it is it though I've got bad I've got bad joints. Yeah. What can I say? Um but yes, yeah, so episode six. This is the last episode. Um And it still rocks. How many times do we yes. get to like episode six of a six part and be like it's slapped the whole way through? The mutants. That's it, that's it, that's true. That's a perfect <laughs> No, song. there are others, but that's the first one that comes to mind. Mm. The mutants is perfect. Um the dinosaurs stop fighting each other. This is great. Um, <laughs> because the T-Rex has teeth that sort of look like they were glued on at random. Mm. And it's trying to bite the, apat- the Apatosaurus slash Brontosaurus's neck off. And it's got sort of covered in sort of grease that is implied that it's being bitten and bleeding. But it doesn't quite look it. Mm. And the doctor's just like, I'm going to get out of here. i got to get out of here. 
It's very good. It's it's very good. That's that's what I have to say about it. It's very good. Finch arrives and tries to take the Doctor, but Benson and the Brigadier arrive as well and take the Doctor away. They just collect him um, into what is a it Land Rover. That the Brigadier says to Benson, he's like, "Yes, why don't you go about arresting him or something, or go about arresting yourself or something?" It comes up at some point, and I loved that moment so much because it was such a good sort of Brigadier unbending the tiniest bit from his usual persona. It was good. Um, I'm not going to sit around here like a spare lemon waiting for the squeezer, <laughs> as he would say in The Demons. Um, Brig gets some great lines. I love him. He's perfect. Um, <clears throat> the Brigadier decides to contact Unit HQ in Geneva to ask Geneva to ask them to put pressure on the government, and Benson begins to arrange the call. However, shortly afterward, Yates arrive and Ooh. holds the Doctor Benson and the Brigadier at gunpoint. Oh no! Nope. Yeah, because the Doctor says about this, he says Mike Yates is your mole. He is the one who has been doing all of the sabotaging. And Benson is like, no, not Yates, because that's his boyfriend. And then Yates immediately turns up and is like, it was me, ha <laughs> Except not really, because he's not evil. He's just misguided. He's just been um, brainwashed. He's been brainwashed. Um. <sighs> It's a lot. He arrives and holds them at gunpoint, right? And they're like, Captain Yates, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, no, we need to do this. The world is being destroyed. After Yates cancels the call to Geneva, he reveals the nature of Operation Golden Age's plans. Fortunately, Yates is distracted when Private I- Bryson enters with a tea tray and offers the captain a cup, giving Benton the opportunity to overpower and disarm Yates. Yeah, because at some point, this this guy asks the Brigadier what he can do around the place. And the Brigadier looks at him and thinks about it and goes, you may as well make us some tea. And Bryson seems so pleased to have something, something to do. Something to do. Anything to do. <laughs> anything to do. Um... Yeah, this is, it's good. There's so much good shit in this story. There's good disarming. Like, we didn't even mention when they're in the detention centre, which is actually a school or church hall, and they're getting processed. And the doctor turns to this other guy they're getting processed with and is like, we should start a fight as a distraction. And then they start a fight immediately. <laughs> like, immediately they start a fight. They're shouting at each other. The doctor is doing his sort of doc worker accent that he occasionally does this story. Um... It's so good. And then the guy tries to run off and, mm. like, you know, stop them from going out or whatever. And the doctor just whacks him on the shoulder and throws him off the stage. It's intense in a very good way. <laughs> it's perfect, is what it is. Yes. Sarah is able to convince the occupants of the fake spaceship that they have been duped by opening the airlock. She just goes, she, like, smiles and waves at them as she leaves. It's really, it's A, a cute moment, B, a fantastic little reveal for it. Yeah. Yeah. They confront Whitaker and Grover and demand an explanation. Grover attempts to placate them, but the Doctor and the Brigadier arrive. Whitaker breaks free of his captor and pulls the lever, activating the reversal process. A Time Lord immunity allows the Doctor to resist this and stop the machine. He, he then... Wait, he, go wait go for on. it. Go on. Wait for it. Hey, yeah. do, you, do you know what he did? Do you I, know what he did? I know what he did, but tell me anyway. He, he reverses the polarity! Oh! Um, but Grover does not recognise this and pulls the switch himself. Whittaker tries to stop him and both are transported back in time to their golden age. The doctor says he hopes they'll be happy there. Oh my god, it's in- it's it's wild. No, he's reversed the polarity. Get back! Dramatic reenactment here. Yes, it's from our, it's also from our theme tune, as you may know. Oh my god, it. that's where that's from. I thought it was familiar. Our very good theme tune. I enjoy it. Composed theme by tune. us. Yeah. Our, our good theme tune. Um, back at Unit HQ, the Brigadier confirms that the crisis is over, but there are still human casualties to deal with. Finch will be court-martialed. Yates is offered the chance to resign and give an extended sick leave. This is so, like, God, the concern that he has. I think it's also like, I think the Brig says something like, that's the best I could get for him or something. 
Yeah, like he clearly has been arguing with some people about this. Yeah. He's like, this this man has had a mental breakdown very recently. Mm. You know this, right? You know that we, we failed in our duty of care towards this man. Mm. Um, the doctor reflects that people like Grover may have had good motivations in wanting to fight pollution and environmental degradation, but they took their schemes too far and endangered all mankind and its civilization. There's a really good quote here that I'm sure we will talk about later. Um, he decides it is time for a holiday and offers to take Sarah Jane to the beautiful planet of Florana. He like torments her with it's his so lovely good. descriptions of how of how nice this place is. Yeah. And Sarah Jane's like, no, I'm not listening. I definitely and... am not going to come. I'm definitely not going to come on this cool space adventure. End of serial. To remain in this universe, the creature would have to reverse its polarity. Fucking banger. Absolute banger. Wall to wall banger. Incredible. Fantastic episode. So thematically consistent and strong. So good. <sighs> Like, just unreal. Like, one, dinosaurs are there. Two, there's politics. Three, there's the unit family. Like, I love... I I always forget, and I don't know why I forget, because it's incredible. I always forget how much I love the unit era of Doctor Who. There's something so cosy about it. Obviously, I love them travelling all around the universe and, like, space and time. But I love having that home base... And the community and family aspect of it. Is it Which the... is why I really want to get back and rewatch the fan era of 13. Because I think that having that many people on the TARDIS can be can messy be at times. It's but nice I also it. like having the community element. That was going to be my question. Is there another era of Doctor Who that has the Doctor having that much of a base compa- compared to the companions? It's like, obviously New Who, Rose has her family base. Martha has a family base. That, Donna like, has a family base. Amy yeah. doesn't. No, Amy, Amy has pati- Amy doesn't for a particular reason, which yeah. is that her parents got eaten by a crack in the wall. I think which, you know, happens less to the best interested of us. in having that home base. He's not as interested in the unit era. Of yeah, because Clara doesn't he's, have it. He's more of like a fifth Doctor devotee, hmm. which is when it was very much bouncing around the universe. Hmm. Um, whereas Into like calamity. RTD, RTD seems to be sort of influenced by sort of the third Doctor um, and also like fourth and etc like the ones where there's more of a focus on the on the, the character origin of people and the character not that there isn't character focus in the fifth doctor but like it's a different the... scope also the fifth doctor is where we get like question mark grim mark grim dark question mark yeah it's an I interesting think one we've got um and then the fam in the newer series they do have home bases but it doesn't feel like their families are very developed um mm. like we see them but ryan and graham are the family so they don't really have any family links back on earth as such because mm. grace dies and it fucking sucks and i'm still mad about it yeah. <laughs> after yeah. so many years um and then yaz obviously her family does show up from time to time and they are good and i like them but she seems less She's less attached, attached to it. Like, she them. leaves her job as a police officer, which, thank fucking God, I could not deal with Yaz being a pig. Mm. Um, I couldn't do it. Like, her being a ju- trainee junior officer, I was like, thank God she's going to not be able to do that anymore because she's missed so much of it. Yeah. Like, it, it, uh. it doesn't fit. Whereas with, like, I, I want... Because I want to listen to the Stranded audios, right? Which is sort of an, an eighth Doctor Earthbound thing. But really, I just want more unit fam. <laughs> I just want to go back in time and be like, no, don't give the Doctor back his TARDIS. Please, just, give us more unit. Just units. more unit fam. Put the unit fam in the TARDIS. Just nudge them through the door and take them to an alien world. Is this how we would do our new Who if we were given showrunner control? We would definitely... I feel like an Earthbound season would be very fun. Or like a yo-yo season where he's forced to come back every time. I think it would be very funny if um, he's stuck in like... His companion is a PhD student who still wants to get their PhD, so insists on going back (laughs) regularly. And that's how they get their sort of ties to 
a eunuch yeah, S-Pan. Or like, there's something wrong with the TARDIS and it has to, like, it, its battery starts failing, <laughs> like, forced obsolescence from the Time Lord uh, mm. Mechanics Acad- Academy or whatever. So in order to charge it, the Doctor has to constantly return to the Rift and guard yep. it. He's like, for God's sake! <laughs> God, uh, having Torchwood as Unit Fam would have made so much sense. Why didn't they do oh that? Oh my God. Oh my God. Torchwood Unit Fam. Like, Martha, like, I think that's the thing, is that Torchwood is an attempt at the Unit Fam. Like... I mean, on paper, it's an attempt at the unit fan. Like not in not not in like a strict character to character. No, um, but like, this like is this is the situation. institution that does the Earthbound response to what the Doctor's up to. Yeah, on paper, like, it's in the this same. situation, Jack is like a mixture of the Brigadier and the Doctor in role, not in personality. Um, Yanto is like. Uh, I guess it's like a Yates kind mm. of because he does the betrayal fairly early on. Yeah, Tosh is Tosh is Liz. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gwen is Joe slash Sarah Jane, <laughs> and Owen is just a bastard. <laughs> Owen is also the Doctor. <laughs> oh God, it's been so long since I watched Torchwood. Yeah, I nearly watched some yesterday with Alex, but we ended up not. We ended up just talking about it for like two. I was like, we should watch some Torchwood after this because we used to do that fairly regularly until mm. John Barrowman turned out to be a cunt. Mm. Um. And now I'm finally ready to watch it again, eventually. Uh, but instead, I said, we should watch The Ark in Space, maybe. And Alex was like, I did agree to that, didn't I? And then we didn't watch <laughs> The Ark in Space either. Oh, my. I really want to know whether it's actually an alien rip. Like, Alien is actually a ripoff of Ark in Space. Like, I, I actually, I was listening to our Moonbase episode and I thought, oh, the white goo thing that the, that the Cybermen do is kind of similar to how in Alien, um, when they defeat the android Ash, he leaks white goo everywhere. And I was like, did Ridley Scott steal this idea from the Moonbase? I've never seen Alien. You should. It's good. I've heard. But I was. I. I then attempted to look up which stories Ridley Scott had worked on, but it was quite hard to figure it out. Mm. So Somebody I'm sure it'll come up eventually. Here, shall we? Someone out there. Somewhere <laughs> out there, there is a very long forum post. <laughs> An apple a day keeps the. Uh... No, never mind. Yeah, let's do it. He's fucking incredible. He's so good. He's full of energy. He's full of life. He's full of... I think he's... It's a peak Doctor story. Yeah. He gets to do so many things. He does so much science. He builds so many little gadgets. He has a little car. He he has his own little adventures. He's a James Bond figure. Like... He's so charming as well. Mm. God, the third Doctor is better than Bond in every possible way. He really is. He's like... He's Bond with none of the misogyny. (laughs) That's a lie. He's Bond with 1% of the misogyny. Um, <coughs> yeah. Three, he ha- probably. You know, but he's he's Bond with less misogyny. Yes. Um, and no sexual assault. Yes. And superpowers, because he's a time lord. Well, there's a lovely bit at the end of the episode where um, they're talking yeah. about like, the time paradox and how it didn't affect the Doctor. Um, and Sarah's like, oh, this is because you're a time lord, isn't it? And he's like, quite. <laughs> Good. Yes, unfortunately, I am an alien, Sarah Jane. Don't be xenophobic. Um, uh, yeah, it's all good. Like, oh, dearie me, that's very antiquated equipment, isn't it? Because the camera they're using to take the prisoner photos is, like, really old. That's good. The bit where they smile for the camera, the bit where he's acting like it's a family portrait. God, it's so the, good. The, <laughs> the fact that he is so good at doing crime. <laughs> Little criminal boy. In this like alternate universe where the Brigadier doesn't find the Doctor at the hospital, the Doctor would definitely have gone on to a life of crime for a bit, just to make ends meet, and then he would have found the Brigadier. Because uh, they will always find each other. 
Yes, because they are in love. Yes, um, the red stringwish ties. He mentions the Blinovich limitation effect when he's talking <laughs> about time travel. Also, when they're talking about time travel research, he goes, there was this Chinese scientist called Chan Sen. No, hang about it. He hasn't been born yet, has he? God, that's good. I always like the... Obviously, we haven't watched Mind of Evil yet. I just enjoy when there's a little bit of mention of, like, other continents. Mm. You know? Just, like, other I mean, that's, places in it, the world. Anything, one of my exists. critiques of this episode is how much it's just the UK. Yeah. It's definitely... But I think that sort of ties into the, the white supremacist angle. Oh, boy, absolutely. Yeah. Like, one budget and two, there's clearly a colonialist... We are better and therefore subtext. we get to make the choice. There's a lost world subtext. Mm-hmm. There's like there's a lot of stuff we could talk about, I'm sure. This is gonna Jesus end up being Christ. a very long recording, isn't it? Yeah, and I'll get to cut a lot because we have natted, you know. Oh, we've had a good time. We have had a good time. Um yeah, it's just all good. He fights the pterodactyl with a broom. So good. He looks perfect. He's got this incredible <sighs> sapphire suit. Ugh. It's good. He's also wearing his like his his tartan tweed cape or whatever, and then he throws it back so his arms are free. Everything that three wears is perfect. I'm sick of the John Nathan Turner thing where each doctor has one outfit that occasionally modifies by like tone. Like 13 deserves to be a, like a Ken doll and wear so many outfits. I want it. Like Spyfall 13 in a tuxedo. I is the I've ever been. It's very much like, oh yes, if I didn't already know that I was a lesbian, this would be another turning point. That's that's exactly what happened to Yasmin Khan. Yeah. You realise that? That's exactly what happened to Yasmin Khan. What we need to do is just sit Yas down with a bunch of lesbian media, media and just let her sit with it for a while. Yeah. Be like, yeah. hey Yas, you should watch But I'm a Cheerleader. <laughs> I haven't actually seen that yet. It's good. Yeah, I've, I, I think I would enjoy it. Um, I was thinking of the DS9 episode with Dax and her ex-wife, which yeah. I, like that. Oh my god! Sorry. Maybe because I... <laughs> like that was personally like that was my oh god I can't closet this any longer can I fuck episode Sorry, of TV. I'm, I've just gone back on my old Tumblr, which is where I found the Day of the Doctor thing. Now I kind of want to watch Day of the Doctor. I haven't watched it since it came out. Me neither. Me neither. I saw it in cinema. I saw it, it in, in my it. uni it, friend's AJ's house. It's a multi-doctor story. I love multi-doctor stories. Do I want to watch Day of the Doctor? If you do, please tweet me your reactions. I will live tweet it. I will tell Perfect. everybody that I'm watching Day of the Doctor for That's... the first time in eight years. And I will. I might pre-game it with Night of the Doctor just to cry. <laughs> oh, did you see that, um, that 22 Doctor Who calendar which had listed the Eighth Doctor's first appearance as Night of the Doctor? That was baffling. That made me very sad. Especially when the TV movie is such a perfect piece of media. Watched it again on New Year's Eve. Can't believe how perfect it is. It gets better every time I watch it. We need to talk about Invasion of the Dinosaurs. I have to go. Now look, if you're going to be in trouble, you'll need me to look after you. Me too. But you don't understand. All right, we've got a nice chunky section here. Um, Sarah Jane Smith. Shall we? We'll roll the wife section in here, I think. Yeah, because she's the only woman. She's the only woman. There's a woman on the spaceship. There is a woman on the spaceship. And I don't like to say that lightly, but she's a white supremacist, so I'm allowed to say it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Sarah Jane Smith, she's beautiful. She, every outfit she wears, she rocks. Her haircut somehow works for her, even though, as you say, she looks like a lesbian beetle. (laughs) Hey, I said that with very affectionate in in brackets. Well, I can say it affectionately too. That doesn't inherently make it good. Like, it is good, (laughs) but... Fair, yeah. I think she's great in this. 
I wish we had more choices of wives, but it's not a bad choice to be put in. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. Um, sorry, I'm just I'm just thinking about Sarah Jane Smith. Would, would I'm you, also thinking like about to... rewatching the Sarah Jane Adventures, which is oh. a much larger commitment. Oh. <laughs> but Liz Sladen is so good in that. She's so good. She's very very good. Like she's good in this. If she's good in anything, that. She's good in everything. She was underserved by much of her run on Doctor Who, especially with the Fourth Doctor. Yeah. She is capable of so much more than they let her do. Yeah. And then she got to do it on her own show. And it kicked off. <laughs> oh, God, the, I can't wait for our Canine and Company folk reverse horror, polarity. Folk horror classic, Canine and Company. Oh, God, we should do that soon, actually. That'd we should do one. that soon, to be fair. It's just, you know. Life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Sarah Jane is just wonderful. She's just so good. And like I said, this is much better for her than in the Time Warrior, where she's getting made fun of by the narrative. Whereas in this narrative, she's like driving the narrative and finding things out in time warrior she never gets to find anything out it's all presented to her after the fact if that makes sense Mm. like she thinks she's found things out and the doctor goes no 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 sarah you've got the wrong end of the stick on this one Mm. um but in invasion of the dinosaurs she's like hey i found out about this time travel guy and she's right it's that fucking guy Yep. and she gets to be an investigative journalist and yeah it's good she is my love she's great um do, do, do. we've also got unit fam on the companions list yes there's a lot of unit fam we love unit fam yeah i think we've already I'm discussed what we love so about much them when we lose them they're just perfect benton gets to describe his color coding system incredible he interrupts the brigadier to explain his little pastel color coded pins so cute so human He's like the most true, is it true good, neutral good? Like the D&D alignment that's in the middle of goods. He's not lawful good. He's no. not chaotic good. He's just, He's just good. good. He's good, 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 good. He's good a good Benton. boy. Very good. He's like, he believes in the Doctor. He believes in what they're doing. He believes in aliens. The bit in the three Doctors where he goes into the TARDIS for the first time and the Doctor says, well, Benson, aren't you going to say it's bigger on the inside? And he goes, sort of obvious, isn't it? Like, <laughs> So good. Benton! Oh, my headphone wire fell out. Keep talking. We need, like, a Benton Appreciation Society. I would make t-shirts. Oh, speaking of, I have another idea for merch that I that I just want to mention, which is that mm-hmm. I think we should make a, a Dalek thing that's, like, the Dalek with thumbs or the spoon Dalek. Like, <laughs> just, an Im- just an image, but it's a Dalek that has a spoon. I missed <laughs> all of that. Can you repeat it? I think we should do merch that's, like, a, an image of a Dalek, but instead of a plunger, it has a spoon. That would be perfect. That would be very cute. Because as you know, we have mentioned the Spoon Dalek many times. It's practically (laughs) a side character on the podcast. (laughs) We should make a Spoon Dalek. As long as we can get Redbubble to stop taking down my fucking designs. Mm, Boo, copyright. Bastards. Uh, Yeah. Benson's good. He's very good. Brig. 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 Always always absolutely delighted when I wake up and I know I get to spend a chunk of my day with the Brig. He's just a reassuring presence. He's he's my he's my emotional support army man. Yeah, he's wonderful. Like just thinking about him, I'm just oh my god. Is <laughs> the brigadier? He's just the perfect foil for the third doctor. Mm, they they they, they, <coughs> they they don't always see eye to eye, but there's always some way that they can like there's some way that they can negotiate towards each other's point of view and go okay i see where you're coming from and also i love you let's get married <laughs> like oh my god just silence on the line but i'm just thinking about 
as I've already said, the parallel of the do- as, of the brigadier is the archetypical military man, like mm. the idealized military man, versus the real the reality of the military man that is represented by General Finch. Which I think that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, and very I'm easy glad- to problematize, <laughs> which we will. Yeah, I'm glad that they, they 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 put that comparison in there, especially when you consider the brigadier's role for Doctor, as you were saying. Yes, and also, as I've mentioned, every single cutaway to him looking put upon and fed up <laughs> is the funniest fucking thing in the entire world. Does they it, do it so, so well? Often. They'll like they'll have him in frame, and General Finch or Grover will say something fucking awful, and he'll just roll his eyes, and you're like, "Yes, Brigadier, I would do anything for you, Nicholas Courtney. I would die for you. I love him." <sighs> I'm very excited that the next Ninth Doctor thing, they're going to have Nine in the Brig. Like, Are they? Yeah. It's Holy shit, how did I miss that? John Coleshaw is the Brig. Oh, that um, would be good. I will finally have to listen to the Ninth Doctor adventures, am I right? I'm actually really excited to listen to those. That'll be a good time. I say I'm excited, I won't listen to it for about eight years. So It's man. Oh. Man. And then we have our poor boy, Mike Yates. Oh, Mike. Oh, oh Mike, you little boy. <laughs> A man who was manipulated in a moment of very, very deep personal, like, you know, like, like, like grievance. He was in a very bad place. <laughs> and then he walked all the way up the, the steps in that ivory tower, as sassy off Ted Lasso would say. He was like, <laughs> I'm going to join this cult and it's going to be fine. And he takes the first step and they're like, and they're going to get me to sabotage stuff for my job. And that's fine. That's fine. He takes another step. And it's like, you, you need to stop doing these things, Mike. I know you're being manipulated, but Mike... Please, Mike, come back down. Look at look yeah. at your friends. They love you. Yeah. It man. Yeah. It's so sad. It's so sad. Mike. Mike. It's also again because the story has so much space to breathe in. It doesn't feel like a cheap betrayal either. Like it's a weighty, weighty loss, and it's not just written off. I, I like how they manage it. The continuity of it all. Like we've already said. Like. In like at this point in America, Mash was still saying that it was that that five seasons of the show would fit into three months of the Korean War, and no one would ever remember anything that had happened. And in Doctor Who, they're like, "Oh, we're just going to refer back to something that happened like two stories ago." Some children who are watching this probably won't remember that because it was longer than their memory has existed for. I uh, actually thank you. It's been way too long since you compared Doctor Who to Mash, so thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. I think the last time I mentioned it, I hadn't yet bought my Mash T-shirt from a charity shop. Of course, you've got that. Of course. Oh boy. Look, I saw it. <laughs> Gone. Yes. I got it off of the dummy that it was on and nearly dropped the dummy on the floor. I saw that it was a pound fifty. I thought this is fate, and I bought it. And it was, and I hope it makes you very, very happy. It really, really does. Anyway, speaking of things that are definitely gay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Aim did recently message me to be like, oh, my friends are talking about MASH. And I went, okay, can you please tell them these two things about MASH? And Which I did. Were, number one. <laughs> well, the first one was like, BJ and Hawkeye may be endgame, but Hawkeye and Mulcahy have definitely explored each other's bodies. And I yeah. don't remember what the second thing was. I think it was about somebody being a lesbian. Oh, Hulahan is a lesbian. Cool. Thank you. She's a means... late life lesbian experiencing compulsory heterosexuality. Means nothing to me. Yes, but it's true. And any listeners who watch MASH, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> On your knees, Doctor. <laughs> um, um, Brig Doctor, always, Brig always got it. It's I always just, good. I enjoy it when they stand. Doctor segment. I enjoy it when they stand really close to each other. 
Yeah, especially when they're in a fucking closet. <laughs> it's like the metaphor's a bit heavy-handed there, but you know. Yeah, Malcolm, come on. Come on, Malcolm, this is a bit much. <laughs> Um, it's like the very first thing the doctor does is he's like, I suppose I better call unit on the phone. The phone's not working. And I'm like, if only the brigadier could have picked up the phone, there would have been a phone flying. I, I believe it. That would have been beautiful. I am making a phone with my hand right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have got, a, I've got a question for you. Yes. You put on the document tenuous, but I think three sits in an LGBTQ manner. Yes. You're not wrong, but I want to know more about your thinking. Okay, so in one of the scenes with <laughs> General Finch and the Brigadier and the Doctor and everyone all in the room, there's like a group shot where you have the Brigadier stood up, Benton stood up, Finch stood up, Sarah Jane stood up, but she's a foot short on all of them, and then three <laughs> awkwardly sitting just on the edge of the table with yeah. one knee pulled slightly up into the air. And it's, I thought, that yeah, man is not straight. That's not straight. That's very good. Thank you for... He sits in an LGBT manner. I just believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very loose of him, I think. <laughs> um, oh, and then they're just they're just very married, Brigadier and the Doctor. Like every interaction they have in this serial makes my heart sing. They yeah. are so cute. They're like there's a bit where they're driving in the car together, oh. and then the Doctor's like, "Hang on," and they just drive under the belly of a dinosaur. And the Brigadier is like, "I can't believe this is my fucking life. <laughs> I should never have gone into that tube station that day." <laughs> I think that's why Brig is a perfect character to repeatedly put in these situations. Yeah, he is so not built for it, but he has forced himself to be good at it. Exactly, I love it. Which is in a way more interesting than the companions Mm. who willingly throw themselves into these situations. The Brigadier is like, I guess, fine. This is... This is my this is what this is I've my job to do with my life. Unfortunately, I must hate myself. And then he can never get away from it. Like he retires, and then in Battlefield, he's like, "Man, I wish the Doctor was here." And then the Doctor shows up, and he's like, "Fucking hell yeah!" It's the TikTok sound that's like, mm, "I wish I had some miso soup." <laughs> and then he gets his miso soup, which is the, the doctor. doctor. I love them. I would like to write a short fluff fic about their honeymoon. You should. I will actually add that to my fic list right now. The doctor bullies the brigadier into letting them go somewhere on the honeymoon and he gets them into the TARDIS and then it turns out to be like Margaret or something, but in the (laughs) 1880s. No, no, okay, no, in the future so that they can hold hands. Let me, let me actually add this to my list. He's like, well, I knew you wouldn't actually want to leave England, but I figured you'd like to go somewhere where we're not going to get stared at. (laughs) Except for how handsome you are, brigadier. Oh. That sounds very lovely. Yeah. God, now I want to write some. It's, it's it's infectious. It's more catching than Omicron. The urge to have Dr. Brig fluff. Yeah. It's 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 deadly. Um, <laughs> it's not actually deadly. No, it's not. It is life-preserving. Okay, so hear me out. I don't have any other notes on this, but I think that Yates loves the Doctor. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not arguing. Yeah, it's it's like. Obviously, like, obviously we know that all of the unit fam care about the Doctor and that's why they wouldn't want him to get hurt. But he's so specifically concerned about hurting the Doctor, the Doctor getting injured, the Doctor having bad things happen to him as a result of things that Mike does. And it's very, very high concern. And it's like, it's not just that he wants the Doctor in on this. There must, there is an emotional component to this that I'm Mm. fascinated by. Like... I just need more information. I I don't think it would be the same like Doctor Brig Love, which is very. Oh no 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 no! This is but very it's, much it's a, a fascination. Thing. It's, it's a fascination in a way. Sort I'm wondering. Of confused thing. Yeah, I don't think it's as self-aware. Yeah, we know that Yates is gay. 
Yeah. <laughs> because he asks the brigadier if he wants to have a drink, and the brigadier is like, no, I'm an alcoholic, goodbye. Um, thank you, Katie Manning. <laughs> yep. We love you, Katie Manning. You're yeah, perfect. She is. But, like, it's such a sort of... It, it, it's such a manic perspective that Yates brings in this serial. Like, he's so twisted up with all of this stuff that he can't get out from under it. It's he's, such a heavy weight on him. He's implied to be one of the youngest of unit, isn't he? Yeah, he's a captain, but I think he is younger than Benton. Yeah, I wonder if that's part of it as well, like having such a intense part of his early career be around this strange and larger-than-life man. Yeah, he imprinted like a duckling. Like a little baby <laughs> but duck. Sad. But sad. Like a duckling, but sad. Mike Yates. The Mike mm. Yates autobiography. <laughs> the Yates tapes. Okay, the Yates tapes sounds like it could be a podcast. I feel like we're just we're just talking me, Rosie, into writing some more fan fiction because now I'm thinking about sequel to my three in Victoria hangout fic mm, where three like Ian and Barbara run into three and they're like, mm, you seem familiar, and three is like, mm, and the brigadier is like, hello, hello, doctor, these are your former companions, Ian and Barbara. <laughs> Unit has a file on them. <laughs> That'd be a great follow-up. Yates is also there. That yeah. was part of the brain. That was part of the brain process. I want like this is again. Yeah, this is a very tangential thought. I wonder how many of the doctors from this point in canon future um, companions unit would have a file on. I mean, any that had appeared in, a, in on Earth in a period of time that unit existed. So quite a lot of them. Mm. We know that the Black Archive or whatever exists, and they've got pictures of fucking. They've got the fucking Peter Cushing Doctor Who movies in there. So like, God, I think those are on our list to cover at some point. Yes, at some point. At some point, when they've I not come up in our plan what yet. What they did to Ian Chesterton. I've not seen them yet. I haven't seen them. I know of what they have done. <laughs> Well, that's going to be a fun time. problems. <laughs> All right. I think, is there any... The other the other thing on gay that you haven't mentioned yet, we haven't mentioned, is Benton slash Yates canon. I think. <laughs> I agree. I think it makes sense. I think that I think that they would have gone to the pub. Yes. Is it, fellas, is it gay to get slightly drunk at the pub and then wake up naked in bed with your best friend? The answer is yes. If that's gay, then Yes. I just think that that's happened. I don't know what to say. I get that vibe from Benton and Yates. And maybe that's part of <clears throat> Yates' confusion as well. Yeah, he's just dealing with a lot of feelings. He he hasn't um, told anyone about it yet, not even himself. Not even himself? Fuck. <laughs> it's like that fucking thing you retweeted on the podcast Twitter about like Nissa and Tegan and Adler. It's like, have you told, have you told me that yet? how you feel? God. Oh, boy. Anyway, that's the gay segment. The answer is that this serial has a lot of homoeroticism. Also, if you like dinosaurs as a child, statistically, you might well be gay. <laughs> Who's done that fucking study? Um, it's just that 10% of all people are gay. And, and at least 10% of all children <laughs> like dinosaurs. So statistically... Rosie! <laughs> that's not how science works. I know that that's not how science works, and I love Rosie. to torment you. Enjoy being tormented. Rosie, know the numbers. Enjoy, enjoy. <laughs> uh, well, I had to recently explain how being left-handed works to some children, so... Oh. You can rely on me for statistics. Definitely, yes, rely. Today's science fiction so often becomes tomorrow's science fact. Um, the first thing that I thought of this morning... Um, is a sort of little tiny context drop about dinosaurs in popular media up to 1974. I wish I thought of this a week ago so I could have actually researched it properly and had a really solid segment. Instead, it's more a very jokey segment. That um, is valid. Oh, just you wait. Um, 
there's so it's like when we think dinosaurs now like it's jurassic park it's the um land before time there's a lot of big dinosaur movies big big dino big dinosaur as as a corporation is has got its claws in everyone yes um but i did a did a quick look and a lot of the let me close that one um a lot of the 50s and 60s dinosaur movies around godzilla or like big b monster movies which i imagine you know more about than i do i did recently watch a video which reviewed all of the unreviewable tony godzilla (laughs) films which was like 16 godzilla films it was by saurian cinema um, or Cold Crush Pictures, who does Sarian Cinema, which I did reference to AIM in the document when I saw that you had put yes! the on. Yes, yeah, I've got a bookmark um, to watch that later. I just knew I would have hit it Cinema into Cinema is a series of YouTube videos which just talk about d- dinosaurs in cinema. So, like, there's a really interesting one that I want to watch again about um, the lo- adaptations of, do- of Conan Doyle's The Lost World and colonialism. Ooh, ooh really that's good. interesting. And there's also one that's called Learning from Bad Dinosaur Movies, which I had a look at today mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to see what had come out around this time. And the answer is that there really weren't very many there's dinosaur much. movies being made in the 60s and 70s. No. It was all like... It's Godzilla you know, and monster movies and that's about it. There was yeah. a version of, of The Lost World. I'm having a look in um, the Wikipedia page, list of films featuring dinosaurs. Oh, oh, can you can you pause yourself before you look down it? Because I've got one that I need to hear your reaction to. Okay, please tell me. Um, Bambi meets Godzilla. <laughs> Bambi meets Godzilla is a 1969 black and white animated <laughs> short student film. Less than two minutes long, the film is a classic of animation. It was listed as number 38 in the book The 50 Greatest Cartoons. Bambi meets Godzilla. There you go. That That is incredible. <clears throat> Like, I was that, looking that's... at um I I was looking at uh One Million Years BC which has Ray Harryhausen animated dinosaurs. We love some <laughs> Ray Harryhausen dinosaurs. What I want to know, Aim, and what I would love to know from you is how did they do these dinosaurs? These ones in the show. Yes. I found nothing about how they did the dinosaurs. Um, I'm sure that there was a lot of special features that I again I just have not had the time to watch this weekend we must find out but we must find out there'll be a way to know there wasn't anything about that listed on my usual sources online or in the production handbook sadly yes now Amy, you have me. six months to find out and record an addendum that i can insert into the podcast here Ooh, oh so if, you, if sounds... we leave like a, if we go like if i like clap and then i will go wow that's so interesting em i never would have guessed that <laughs> no i know it's such an intuitive way like ingenious yeah, it's really interesting. It's very similar to the Quatermass experiment. I don't know if I talk, talked about this last time we were recording the podcast. Um, but I did watch the surviving two episodes of Quatermass from the 1950s. And then I watched the special features. And it turns out, number one, that Nigel Neal, my icon, who wrote <laughs> and who wrote the Quatermass experiment, was married to Judith Kerr, who did the Tiger Who huh. Came to Tea. And oh, bless her. She's so rabbit. lovely. Yeah, and she number was so three, lovely. that she did the puppeteering for the Quatermass experiment. What? <laughs> That's a great fun fact. They got because the, the the BBC didn't have any budget for it, and apparently in the final episode, which is sadly lost, there's this sort of sequence where a massive like tentacled beast is like taking over the roof of this cathedral, um, and it's her with like a glove puppet of this tentacled beast, which I thought was really cool. Also, the Quatermass experiment had a genuinely unexpected twist at the end of episode two, and I was so overwhelmed by it. <laughs> This sounds fascinating. It's really good. It's really, really good. And I need to, like, find a reconstruction of the last episodes because, like, Jesus Christ, it was good. That sounds great. Um, I love Quatermass. Stan Quatermass for Close Skin. Um, I also have a YouTube video open now to watch later, which is Evolution of Cinema Dinosaurs, 1920 to 2015. Um, Amazing. 
Basically, the... we just want to note that most dinosaurs up to this point were not portrayed particularly seriously. Or particularly accurately, even to the science no. of the time. No. Because um, the, the other main one which we haven't mentioned is the Flintstones, which came out in the 60s. Yeah. It's... Which, you the... know, is, is not accurate. Like, there have been very... But by this point, there have been various adaptations of, like, Journey to the Centre of the Earth, The Lost mm-hmm. World, those kinds of things. So there were dinosaurs on screen. And honestly, they look about 10% better than the ones in this serial. But which is a lot better. Which is quite, quite the ask, because it's so good. Yeah. Like, there's dinosaurs in the original King Kong, as far as I recall. And they look about... Yes, there are. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> Sorry. I'm Can you pop it, it in now. either horrendous or heartwarming images on the Discord? I need to find like a good picture of it. Oh my god, it has wheels because it was like being wheeled around. I'm going to put it in horrendous images because <laughs> it's that fucking <laughs> sun mechanophobia thing. Yeah, that's horrible. It's it, yeah, it looks like a rusted watering can that's had a dinosaur's face implanted on it. <laughs> that is such an apt and horrifying description. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you're welcome. But yeah, shall we continue through behind the scenes? Please do. Um, this story had the fourth highest viewing figures on average for all third Doctor stories. Um, John Pertwee's departure from the show was announced between the airing of episodes four and five of the story. Indeed. Which is interesting. I've got some cuttings about it for later. Oh, nice. You've got a little cutting here, which is John Pertwee and his son in the Humobile, which is yeah. adorable. Apparently, Sean loves... Uh, what, what the fuck is the quote? I'm going to find it. Um... Pertwee's son Sean enjoys a ride with his well-loved father. <laughs> well-loved father. That makes this him sound a like a, from... a used piece of antiquing. Yeah, this is a cutting from an American paper. Oh, so nice. This, the this, the um the like caption says, "Guess who? The fellow piloting this amazing vehicle of the future isn't well known to Americans, but he's the rage of both movies and television in Great Britain. Actor John Pertwee portrays the fantastic Doctor Who, who rolls a lot of American type heroes into one with something extra. The vehicle, which probably doesn't conserve energy, looks like a mini hovercraft of some type. But when Doctor Who uses it, it's a three wheeler with wings that spread out, a three channel television, built in computer, and radio phone. Radio phone. Oh, perfect. There's a lot going on with it, is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I love it." Um, but let's keep jumping on because I've got a couple of longer ones. Um, working titles for this story were Bridgehead from Space and Time Scoop, which sounds to me like an ice cream flavour. It would have like pecans in it or something. Caramel pecan. That. I love that. Time Scoop. Mm, I would eat it. Um, my first job after uni was working in an ice cream cafe, so... <laughs> That I really incredible. hope that one day they make a time scoop. Um, all right, this one is long, but I really enjoyed it. Um, so part one had the story title shortened to Invasion to conceal the central plot device. However, this was undermined by Radio Times, which used black and white comic strip style illustrations by Peter Brooks to accompany the program listing for Invasion part one, showing the Doctor being attacked in the warehouse by the pterodactyl, the no. flying creature breaking through the driver's window of the Land Rover to attack the Doctor, complete with speech balloon for the Doctor reading, Get out, get out! And the Land Rover, strangely depicting, uh, depicted bearing a Unic logo, smashing its way out through the warehouse doors. The accompanying caption read, Great to be back. The Doctor and Sarah return to London from medieval England, but swinging London has been invaded by something from even further back in time. Prehistoric monsters. 5.30. Malcolm Hulk protested the title Invasion of the Dinosaurs, preferring the original working title of Time Scoop because he's right. And yep. also felt the invasion contraction for part one was a bit silly. Also, it's confusing because they had a story called The Invasion. The Invasion. Like three years previously. Yeah. Whatever. And the dinosaurs don't exactly invade. No. 
In a response letter after transmission, script editor Terence Dix pointed yeah. out that all the titles used for the project had originated in the Doctor Who production office. He agreed that the contraction of the story title in fa- for part three. He agreed the contraction of the story title to Invasion for Part 1 was a decision he now regretted, but noted that Radio Times are a law unto themselves. That is so true. Unfortunately, <laughs> the worst person I know did just make a great point. <laughs> Tragic. Tragic. Yeah. Tragic. This is... I've got another wild one for you. The BBC Classic Who's website's Party Politics stated that Operation Golden Age oh caused God. the collapse of the Jeremy Thorpe government. No, Discuss with the class. Thorpe. I just, I, I, I've never seen this classic Who political party website, and I must go and hunt it down at some yeah. point because yeah, I love that. Um, we can find out about this female prime minister from Invasion of the Zygons, <laughs> Terror of the Zygons. Uh, I'm a good is... Doctor Who fan. I know Doctor Who. Oh, Don't take my Doctor Who card away. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You can keep it. Um, the original outline for this story concerned the Doctor returning to the present day to discover that aliens had invaded and ordered the evacuation of London, claiming provocation <laughs> by humanity. A supplicant government remained in the city in the manner of the Vichy government, which nominally remo- which nominally ruled France during the Second World War, but was, in effect, a puppet regime controlled by Nazi Germany. Much like the dinosaurs are puppet, about it? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> The aliens planned to demand larger and larger swathes of territory to satisfy their needs. Again, this paralleled the events of World War II and specifically Hitler's policy of, oh my god, Lebensraum. Lebensraum. Thank you. And specifically Adolf Hitler's policy of Lebensraum. Humanity would eventually be limited to Australia, which the aliens then intended to destroy. Yeah, that's 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 it. Wow, I would have loved to see how they would do that story and how they would um, save the day there. Apparently, it didn't get developed very far because it was too similar to Day of the Daleks. Oh, interesting. Because Day of the Daleks is like future past. There's a lot of time moving about, and there's things being abandoned, and Daleks coming in, and the Ogrons turn up. Mm. I haven't seen it, but as I understand it, there's a lot of um, complications going on in that story. A lot happening. <laughs> but that does sound like an interesting story, and I think that the idea of like because Sontar like the Sontarans in Flux have an element of this. In mm. that they invade and then they go, we are going to impede all of these these things. <sighs> but it's still not yeah. really... There's not really a lot of invasion narratives in Doctor Who that actually sort of get into the nitty gritty of how invasions work, I guess. I wonder if that's because it's quite complicated. It is quite complicated. they're quite time limited. I guess the books probably get into it. Mm. Um, and I'm going to wrap this segment up with a quote from Malcolm Hulk um, about why it was his favourite script. Um, I decided what I wanted to do and came up with a lovely idea of the golden age with all these people behind it who just didn't fit in. There were lots of rather sad people always living in the past and who wanted to turn back the clock. I think they were totally wrong in their thinking, but I like the story. It's easily my favourite because I felt that was the way a lot of people feel, left out or left behind by things changing. Which I think is just a really ever pertinent quotes especially so around nice. like harmful conservatism it's um, so it's such an interesting story yeah and um, it's such a <laughs> it's such a compassionate approach when it could very easily not have that approach yes Malcolm Hulk is very good at the even-handed approach to storytelling yeah, definitely we love him which we is do. why it's good that we're moving into our discussion slash critique portion of the podcast so we can discuss it for even gonna be, longer gonna be a good one <laughs> We'll all go. Except Miss Shaw. Oh, just a minute. I'm not going to miss all No, Miss Shaw. Have you never heard of female emancipation? Liz, this time I think he's right. 
My first thought is dystopian themes in the Pertwee era of Doctor Who and Ooh. how it mirrors other um, sci-fi media that was being made around the same time. Obviously, this was a time of huge nuclear anxiety. Yeah. There was a lot going on in Britain and politically and there was mm. stuff going on with the energy crisis and, you know, as we already know, the EU was being formed. There was a lot of political upheaval and Doctor Who responds to this by having a lot of dystopian narratives around this yeah. time, I would say. <clears throat> like, I just find that so interesting. Like, they've decided to do this sort of, like, empty world story. You come back and you go, we've Rip Van Winkled our way into some kind of dystopia and it's just that things can turn so quickly in this universe that it can go from one day being fine to another day London is deserted. Everything's gone. Like, it's 28 days later or something. It's really harrowing. They're, like, going through, like, the park is full of overturned toys and, like... There's litter know, everywhere. Litter and... everywhere. People, like, you know, rummaging through things and it's like, man, it's a lot going on here. Mm. I think it's not the most dystopian era of Doctor Who, especially looking at a lot of the Sixth Doctor stories. Yeah. Um, Varos comes to mind immediately when you say dystopia. I think the type yeah. of dystopia differs. This is like a climate dystopia. This is only like an existential dystopia and in a different way. And the Sixth Doctor is like a per, like a um, a societal dystopia where mm. there is still control and it has it is evolved this way over time. Whereas mm. um, the climate dystopia here is like a sudden military seize of power because of this emergency that has been created by the military it's a conspiracy yeah. thriller yes <laughs> i have a, a section about conspiracy thrillers in oh uh, nice in oh that'll be fun um, um yeah the, like looking at the list of third doctor stories the other one that like jumps out to me immediately as as that type of dystopian is inferno which is literally yeah. alternate universe everything is the the brig has an eye patch or something yeah there's very nazis. comically it's an alternate universe where, where the nazis won yeah Liz and the Brigadier are Nazis. The Doctor isn't there. The entire world explodes into lava because of environmentalism not being paid attention to. I think Inferno is absolutely fantastic. Inferno's so fucking good. God, God Can't wait to get to talk about that. But Very they're all good. good parts. They are all good parts. And there's werewolves-ish. <sighs> Ish, yeah. Sort Ish. of. Yeah, I, I find it interesting. And like I've put this note... Um, the fact that it's canon- canonically set post-Cold War is so interesting. Mm. There's this bit where they're talking about mm. building these nuclear bunkers. Because Sarah says, wasn't there a plan a few years ago to build atomic bunkers in the event of an atomic war? And the um, the MP is like, yes, there was, but then everything cooled off a bit and we didn't feel the need to. You know, that's all in the past now. You're like, mm. that must have been such a such a strange moment for people watching going, when is this set? <laughs> is this another universe? Like, I don't know. And... and, and mm. And then it contrasts with, like, the reality of the story, which is that they're, like, they're taking over all these municipal buildings that should be full of school children or people going to church. And instead it's people having, like, kangaroo courts going, you're going to prison and you're going to prison and you're going to prison. Mm. Mm. And how people clutch at power in those environments as well. Yeah, I don't know. It's also the era of, like, Doom Watch and Survivors, uh, Terry Na- friend of the show Terry Nation's show, <laughs> Survivors. It's, like... A period of extremely heightened anxiety about the environment. This is also around the time the ozone layer was a big concern in the media, I think. Mm. Um, and I'm shocked that we don't have a Doctor Who story that is an a, a obvious um, allegory for the ozone layer, at least as far as I know. Surely um, the one where the moon's an egg has something to do with that. Yeah, but like in classic Who. <laughs> no, we don't, yeah. Moon and egg. I haven't watched Kill the Moon in some time. It's not good. It's like an abortion allegory, isn't it? Sort of. It's Whatever Doctor allegory Who. it's going for, it doesn't land. <laughs> Doctor Who. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I just find it so interesting. Like the the idea of the climate dystopia of like obviously this is this is the the people trying to avert a climate dystopia by causing an apocalypse 
of unimaginable scale, reversing the entirety of humanity to not exist, when they completely fail to notice that the majority of pollution is being caused by a very small number of companies mm-hmm. in the industrialised West. Yeah, that that must have been like relatively easily accessible information even in the 70s. Yeah, it should have been fairly fucking obvious. Yep, yeah. Like, yeah, we were using leaded petrol, but like, it's still not individual's on. responsibility. Like, yeah. I find it, I guess this can move on to sort of the general discussion of the environmentalism within the story. Because hmm. um, it the, doesn't... Hmm. Like, the golden age regression thing is very fascist because the concept of saying the world is damaged beyond repair is in itself a silencing tactic for people who are trying to make things better, right? Like, it's going, things are bad, we need to kill everything and start again. Like, blank slate, ground zero, blow it all up. Yeah, it's it's the nihilism does more harm than good. Yeah, nihilism, we're going back to the beginning, we're going to bring 200 white people to guide the human Mm. race from the beginning. Which... Uh, the, I I think that the the commentary must be more on that reaction than the crisis at hand. It's yeah, because Malcolm Hulk obviously is like an environmental person, and the yeah. doctor says at the end he has the right idea that there are bad things happening, but the the cause of all of these things mm-hmm. is just greed, Brigadier. Like they're being greedy, wanting to take the whole world for themselves, right? Like they think if only we could just do it again from the beginning, we would get it right. If only we were in control. The, if only we were they making are the decisions. In control, and they're still doing like. I think that that's why it's so interesting having an MP on their side, for instance, or like people with yeah actual influence. The fact that there are minor celebrities on the spaceship, people with influence. Yeah, people probably with good, you know, readable people. Oof, oof. Like it just feels like all the implications of this colony are so horrifying, and they are not, of course, not discussed. But it's but like, they're all there. We're going to be repopulating are... humanity, and I'm not, like these guys are like I'm not going to be sleeping with a original Homo sapien. I'm going to be sleeping with that woman who's stuck on this spaceship with me. Like it's very passengers. Yeah. Uh, like it's an all-white cult on a spaceship. They're doing re-education. They're all wearing double denim. They're gonna. <laughs> the all, double denim gonna really should have been the giveaway. I just feel it. I wonder and if the mentioning this... of the mentioning of a, of replacing everything just makes me think about the Great Replacement theory, which I'm sure was a thing in the 70s as, mm. as well, which is a hugely racist white massively, thing, massively, massively. Where it's like if white people stop having children, then the it's bad. Don't Google. Yeah, don't it. look into it. Jesus, it's Christ. a bummer. It's like it's not just a bummer; it's a very dangerous ideology. Yeah. And this serial, whether intentionally or not, has sort of, sort of depicts it as something that people just slide into, which I think is really interesting. That's like, actually the, that's possibly quite realistic. Like you know, exactly. These people have the been taste day of radicalization. By- by the climate crisis, they've been radicalised to ecofascism. And let's talk about ecofascism very quickly. <laughs> oh boy, let's do it. Yeah. So ecofascism is. Well, it's very much theoretical because there is no eco-fascist per- like government currently existing. But the idea of using fascism to sacrifice people's interests in the name of the environment. So it's like... Or using the excuse of the environment to enact other fascist ideals. Yes, exactly. To like, flip the explanation, yeah. <sighs> there have been various people who used eco-fascism to justify doing very, very horrible things. Like, you know... And we'll have a warning at the top of the show for this, Jesus we Christ. We really need to, yeah. But, like, mass shootings and, yeah. like, 
terrorist terrorist attacks and like all of these really horrible things to go well this is for the environment so it's good that i'm killing people it's yeah. like this justification the rationalization the population issues the idea that overpopulation itself is the problem not the fact that we are not using yeah. the resources we have to make a sustainable population of the size yeah. which and we again, can do we have the resources the concern with overpopulation is very <laughs> deeply tied to white supremacy where they're like oh, yeah no, we need to have more white babies and less babies from other countries because that's bad yeah. and it's like jesus christ jesus christ jesus fucking christ and this story like predicts so much of it so accurately like so many people really defeatist about the environment and it's like we can claw this back if we just do something it's fascinating how this story could be made today without changing any of the beats or any of the beliefs yeah like the doctor says like take the world that you have and change it while you can right like yeah i'm just take the world that you've got and make something of it it's 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 the doctor is saying you you shouldn't be taking the responsibility for all of this and putting it on the collective shoulders of all of humanity so many of them have the same view that you do just change what you have now yeah it's so good (laughs) aim it's so good I, i i think that the bit that i'm just sort of like sitting here kind of bummed out but kind of impressed by is is again just how continually relevant it is and we've gone through various waves of approach to the climate crisis in the last 50 years yeah if you're do you remember in the mutants when they're looking out the window at the earth and the doctor mm. says like gray cities with gray trees and gray clouds and gray skies right like yeah in the 70s of doctor who has such an environmentalist message and i find it so fascinating that this story coming on the heels of the green death which is also by malcolm hulk is mm. like one side of one side of environmentalism other side of environmentalism the answer is that we all need to work together on it now yeah it's, it's a not waiting it's a not extremes it's a you can't harm others in the name of a greater good yeah fuck yeah malcolm hulk yeah thank you malcolm, malcolm hulk other behind the scenes mention is that malcolm hulk was a card-carrying communist and then he left in the 50s because he disagreed with stalin's policy in the in korea and then he nice. went back because he realized that he still cared about communism in a theory and i'm like yeah Nice. And Veronovich's parents were in the Communist Party with him. Yeah. Oh, they're buddies. Yeah. And that was why Veronovich was allowed to read the Malcolm Hulk target novelizations. And that's why we have <laughs> Remembrance of the Daleks. So thank you, Malcolm Hulk. Oh, wow. It's Everything's connected. It really is. I just... It, I, yeah. I can't get over this white supremacist cut on a spaceship where they're like, oh, we're going... There's, there's gonna, we're, we're, we're escaping moral degradation. Mm-hmm. What a fucking dog whistle. Like... I mean... If anything, the the re-education chambers are oh, no, kind yeah. of a... There's a lot of cultish but... stuff. There's a lot of going... I also we like are how... the right sort of people to all be... All of the cult behaviour... All of the cult behaviour is there with none of the aesthetic trimmings of a cult. I, I disagree because they are all they are all wearing the same thing. But I I, I read that as a... Um, this is just what they, their spaceship environment's outfit is. Oh no, I read it as a cult outfit. Maybe that's okay, just me. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I read it and I was like, this is like, this is something. Like the fact that they made Sarah change into it. And it's not a spacesuit okay. because it it's is It's not a spacesuit. It is double denim. <laughs> you are correct. But, you know, it's just, it's it's so interesting. So yeah. interesting. And again, to include, to include Mike's radicalisation in there as well is very important. Yeah, God. To everyday it. He's... He's caught at this vulnerable moment in his life and he mm. hears something he wants Poor to hear boy. and they big him up and they go, you're going to be so important in this role in us taking back the earth for everyone and we're going to make it better. And this and is all for you have to do, you? All you have to do is this one little thing and then they just keep building it up and building it up and building it up. And there he is. And I'm like, I need to refer you through the prevent duty, Mike. 
Worst training of my fucking life. I hate oh, prevent. God, it's racist me. bullshit. But... Yep. Yep. But, oh, can we move on? Uh, should we talk about military propaganda? <laughs> yeah, go on. That's going to be a cheerio <laughs> conversation. <laughs> well, we get to talk about the Brigadier again. That's true. That's true. Is unit inherently military propaganda? We've talked Is about this before. A- We've talked and about we didn't before. come to a conclusive answer because it's hard to come to a conclusive answer based on one story. But now we have another story to talk about it with. And in this story, we have the echoes of other military organisations being involved, which means we have a different perspective. Yes. I think I have read some of this part of the book before about um, people seeing the Pertwee Doctor as being in line with authority and the military, when actually a lot of his era ends up being about how the military is kind of bad. <laughs> Which is, again, a nice little, like, the story of how people will see things how they want to see things. But it's like... It's, it's example, easier to see him as in line. They point out in this book that Invasion of the Dinosaurs and Ambassadors of Death are both sort of conspiracy thrillers, where the true culprit is a high up in the military. But the thing is that, again, this is sort of like in... Um, God, I hate to reference Marvel. But you know in Captain America, the Winter Unfortunately. Soldier, where it yeah. turns out that Hydra has infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. Ugh, yep. But then, once they've got the baddies out of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the television show, continues having S.H.I.E.L.D. This is how I kind of feel about the way that the military and the regular army is presented in Doctor Who, which is that it is often presented as kind of a a few bad apples kind of situation. Mm. And as soon as we get those guys out, it's going to be fine. So, like, the regular army is constantly Which is a different take on the greater good. Yeah, the the regular army is constantly in Doctor Who having these problems with corrupt generals and corrupt ministers and all these people and they always sort it out by getting rid of that one guy and then another guy pops up and you go, oh, I wonder why it is that the regular army keeps popping up with these fascist villains in Doctor Who. I wonder Mm. what it is about being in the military that makes you a bit of a fascist. Mm. Um, And then Unit itself is very rarely presented in a negative light until you get to like the new series and it's sort of, you know, they sort of have gone away from the Lethbridge-Stewart era of being sort of conciliatory and understanding that aliens are another like sentient race that can be negotiated with. Obviously, the yeah. Brigadier's not great at that, but he's better at it than the fucking um, whoever the guy is in Sontaran stratagem that fucking sucks. Um, yeah. Like again, this is a really difficult question because I think that in one way it is military propaganda, right? Because it's showing a military organization. It's an idealistic life. depiction of it, yeah. But it's, it's also not really a military in a structure that exists. Like, there isn't a military that does this. So it feels Mm. weird to try and compare it. But isn't that, in a way, part of propaganda? Yeah. it's Propaganda is to thought what there actually is and make it look more opinions. If we had aliens invading, it would be great to have unit. And it's like, Or I want to be the person fighting against the aliens that might invade. Yeah, it's complicated. And Mm. definitely one we might have to have a longer discussion about. Oh, I think this is one that we will touch on many a time. The I Quit Star Trek pod did have a special episode about whether Starfleet is a military organisation. And I think we should have a special episode where we invite some people on to talk about UNIT. Is UNIT military propaganda? Is UNIT military propaganda? I think the other thing we need to consider here is somebody who knows the history of military propaganda in the UK. What does UNIT's presentation in Doctor Who say about its relationship with the military? Because I don't think it's as simple as unit military propaganda or unit not military propaganda. Mm. It units military propaganda complicated question mark. (laughs) Um, Because they so rarely do like the main military things that unit does is they respond to direct threats against unit by going out with guns and shooting at robots and they wear military uniforms and they wear military and uniforms. they have rank and they have rank 
those are the military things that it does. And then you consider that the military things the regular army does, like, for example, going out and colonising places and shooting civilians in other countries. Like, they have that specific line in the first episode where the Brigadier is like, I'm not telling my men to shoot civilians. What the fuck are you talking about? Which is mm. why I'm saying that the Brigadier is this idealised military man who is like, he's in the, he's been an army man his whole life and he's like, this is what we do. We fight Nazis and we don't shoot civilians. And the thing is that those two things have not always been true, even in World War II. Yeah. Yeah. He's very much an idealistic character, even though he f- he doesn't always seem idealistic from his. I think like, that's what makes him so interesting, like yeah. the jaded idealist. Yeah, he sort of doesn't want reality to be reality, right? He wants to have like the good versus evil narrative that military propaganda would have us see. And then this episode comes along, and it's like actually more complicated than way more comp. I love how complex this episode gets. Yeah. And how complex we our discussion about it can get, because like Jesus yeah. Christ! Wow, yeah, my brain is starting to feel the complicate. Like that, the- we have been talking deeply about this. Yeah, and we'll probably talk for longer about it. Yeah, <laughs> just generally, like it's so interesting. I'm but... looking forward to like more stories of this era where we can keep addressing this question from different angles. Yeah, yeah. I still need to watch the latest episode of the Copaganda series on YouTube that a guy was doing about like how different shows are copaganda or attempt to not be copaganda and as a result become worse copaganda. Um, oh, this is something I've been thinking about a lot with my Warehouse 13 watch through. Yeah, because it's like with the alien cops, there's an episode about the X-Files that I really need to watch because I think that that would be a good comparison point to Unit to be like the yeah. alien spooky FBI as a comparison point to Unit or like what's a, what is in fiction a comparable point to Unit from around this time I don't know that there is one except like the fucking Tomorrow People like are the Tomorrow People cops I think they might be <laughs> uh, there's there will definitely be something. some white supremacy involved in that show oh um, um, there'll be something tweet us if you can think of something yeah something contemporary to Doctor Who to whether next in, discussion because we're not done whether in literature or in television or whatever that has uh, that has something that is similar to Unit, Starfleet does not count because it's it just doesn't. <laughs> Starfleet is not responding to these threats on Earth. Yes, it has to be something that is responding to alien invasion rather than going out and meeting aliens in space, which is and a whilst there are encounter. definite like that, there's um threats of Borg invasion on Earth and stuff. Yeah. I think Starfleet is enough removed that it can't be yeah. comparable. Whilst we, you could still have that, like an ongoing conversation of is Starfleet military pro- propaganda in different eras and in different times? Yeah. It's, it's not comparable to UNIT in this way, yeah. Yeah, like UNIT in the new series is becoming this discussion about, like, because it's mm. more of a scientific body under Kate Stewart than it was under Before. the previous fucking guy from Sontaran strategy. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting. It's very interesting. I did want to say, did we want to talk about the colorization of this episode of this series? Oh, as in the first one hasn't been found in color, so it's just in black and white. Yeah, but then they colorized it. Did they? Yeah. Did you Did you see did it in black watch... and white? I watched it in black and white. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I, I watched the first one in black and white. The rest was in color. No, it was all in color. Oh well, I enjoyed watching the first one in black and white. Well, there you go. We finally watched something in different formats. Hey, by accident. Yeah. Um. We must have the DVD version from yeah, before so, they colorized it. So what it is is um they did the like I th- I don't know if it's the vid fire or what have the you. Vid fire is what they call the re- the, the cleaning up of the tapes they get. 
But um, they only they there's there's been this whole thing where they were recoloring based on chroma dots that had been recorded from the black and white recordings, right? So they had they had the information, mm-hmm. but with this one, they only had two out of the three sets of dots that they needed. So they had to figure out where the blue bits were going to be because oh. they had the red and the green, but not the blue. So the new color version of part one has approximate blue information. So sometimes it looks a bit weird and wavery. But I thought it was very good. I'm intrigued by looking at it in black and white now. I kind of want to watch all of the Pertwee stuff in black and white just out of curiosity. It's very, Obviously, it was very effective. Classic Rosie's story. Oh yes, tell it again. <laughs> I listened to, I, I the first time I ever watched Doctor Who, it was Terror of the Autons and it was in black and white and it freaked me the fuck out because it's really scary in black and white. Black and white and is that's scary. And it made why me you are the way you are today. television for the rest of my childhood. <laughs> uh, I, I, I enjoyed watching it in black and white, I must say. Yeah. I, can't, I don't treat. doubt it. Black and white dinosaurs. What a treat. Blinosaurs. Blinosaurs, yes. Let me get this straight. A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard, it can move anywhere in time and space? Yes. Quite so. But that's ridiculous. So I don't have a lot today because I want to talk about dinosaurs in the expanded universe. Yes. Um, the first point here is that apparently in the expanded universe of Doctor Who, pterodactyls are scientifically considered dinosaurs and not pterosaurs. But because I'm a child, I already thought that they were dinosaurs. This is why yeah, when I children have... ask me what my favourite dinosaur is, I have to think very carefully before I answer. Because some of them are going to so, be yeah. that kid who's like, that's not a dinosaur. A couple of my close friends are that kid. So I often talk about how a pterodactyl is my favourite dinosaur just to annoy them. That is classic. That is classic. And also, you're right to say it. Yeah, so it right makes sense. They, they are classed... It's also an interesting how things are classed in, like, societal understanding of the world is not necessarily how they're scientifically classed. Yeah, it is pretty interesting. Oh, I also wanted to mention, um, Tom Baker was announced as the Doctor the day before the final episode of this serial broadcast. Yep. I just... I, I had some clippings that I will link in the show notes. And also a clipping of a article called Sax Appeal about the London Saxophone <laughs> Quartet, which recorded some of the music for this series of Doctor Who. Sweet, I guess. The Doctor Who Cuttings Archive is a really wonderful website. It never has anything I actually want, but it has what I need. Um, Perfect. So anyway, dinosaurs in the expanded universe. So I have the <laughs> I have the TARDIS wiki page for dinosaurs open. Yes. <laughs> List of appearances. Um, dinosaurs, shockingly. Uh, have appeared in quite a few things. They have been in a number of serials on television. They have been in four episodes of Torchwood, presumably because of Myfenway, which I can never pronounce mm. properly. Mivan- Mivanoi. I don't know. I don't remember how they said it on the show. I haven't watched it in some time. Um, <laughs> then they've been in one Doctor Who monthly audio, uh, two Unit the New Series audios. I must know about Kate Stewart fighting dinosaurs. Um, one Bunny Summerfield audio, one Diary River Song, and one Dalek Universe audio. So not a large nice. amount, but I'd like to imagine them going in the background. <laughs> in every single one. They also appear Go in on. The Five Companions. Oh, sweet. There's a dinosaur in it and they have to attempt to uh, distract it, which goes sort of okay. It goes okay for them. Um, they've been in a number of Target novelizations, including Doctor Who and the Cave Monsters, which is a novelization of Doctor Who and the Silurian. Oh, that's an interesting name change. Okay. It is... It is interesting. Um, there is also one called The Doctor Who Dinosaur Book. 
um, which is a children's What's book. What's that meant to be? Pub- it's a children's book published by Target Books. It was an educational publication with the fourth Doctor travelling back in time to the age of the dinosaurs, but not meeting any alien interference or other major conflict, and thus instead giving information about various kinds of dinosaurs, which was believed to be scientifically accurate at the time of publication. Um, Beautiful. Okay. And also, it is literally like Doctor X reader fic, because he's just addressing you, the reader, you? the whole time. Oh my god. The girl reading this. <laughs> Um, Perfect. It looks very fun, and I must get one. I believe in your acquisition skills. Yes, I must get it. To eBay. Yes, to eBay. Um, A range of educational Doctor Who books following a similar format was launched after the success of this book. It was called Doctor Who Discovers. That's that's A, adorable, B, exactly what I want to exist in the world. Yeah. 75,000 copies were printed, so there's a good chance there'll be a couple on eBay. We'll have to look it up. Um, they were in two Eighth Doctor Adventure books, one new series adventure called The Last Dodo, which I did read. I don't remember anything about it, but I remember reading it. Uh, cool. They're in two Torchwood books. I have never read a Torchwood book. I own a Torchwood book, but I have not read it. Um, yeah, one of the quick reads, they're in Pop Classics, The Runaway Tardis, which is like a quirk books children's book thing with the 13th doctor and a new companion called lizzie nice it's a i can't remember what i was gonna say i think it was a good title yeah it sounded good the runaway tardis um there we go yeah good title and they were in a doctor who magazine short story that i will be talking about later and a puffin e short story called something borrowed they were also in two tv comic comics and you know we love tv comic comics oh yes um (laughs) they were in a the dalek outer space book they were in a comic in Torchwood magazine which I had forgotten Torchwood magazine existed I forgot that was a thing but there were 25 issues of Torchwood magazine fucking hell who bought them I don't know the, uh, to be fair Torchwood fandom was big game um, they were yeah. in two Doctor Who magazine comics three Doctor Who adventures comics a Doctor Who annual comic they were in IDW pun- uh, publishing comics three runs of that they were in uh, some Titan Comics 11 Doctor Comics as well. Lots and lots of dinosaurs in Doctor Who. Uh, and also, I just want to note the, the, the novelization of this story. At the end... <laughs> go on, go on. Um, they're talking about know. what happened if Grover and Whittaker actually travelled back in time. <laughs> and Sarah says, surely we'd have heard of them if they'd actually gone back in time. And the Doctor says, that depends at what point in the past they arrived. Um, Sarah says it would have changed our history and the Doctor says not if they were already there and then he talks about how time goes around in circles so it's all cyclical and there's a causality loop or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Doctor says, you know, there's a book you might try reading sometime and then they go to foils. Wow, uh, okay. And they buy the Doctor Who time dinosaur book. He strode into the deserted bookshop. Sarah followed him calling, we could be shot as looters. We're not going to take anything, said the Doctor. Just browse a little. Ah, he saw a sign reading religious department and went towards it. You will not be able to guess what this is. By the time Sarah caught up, the doctor was looking into a copy of the Holy Bible. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> they went there. Read that, he said, pointing to a page. It's Ezekiel chapter one, verse five to six. Sarah read, Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings. She looked up at the doctor. Who were these creatures? The doctor shrugged. Perhaps they were from another planet, or from the future of this planet. He replaced the book on its shelf. I don't know how the fuck that's supposed to help. (laughs) Yeah, that, if anything, is is, is more confusing. What? Like, what? (laughs) 
What? I no, but that makes I that makes no he's sense. Trying to prove the idea that if the if people had, from the future had gone to the past, we'd know about it. And the doctor is like, maybe we do. Maybe it's in the Holy Bible. That doesn't answer the that question, Doctor. That's going to make a lot of theological scholars ready to sit up and have a large conversation about about that. It's a lot going on. Oh boy, that's I uh, yeah, that's that's not what I expected to happen. Anyway, we've got there were five Doctor Who discovers books. Doctor Who discovers early man. Doctor Who discovers cool. prehistoric animal. Doctor Who discovers space travel. Doctor Who discovers strange <laughs> and mysterious creatures. And Doctor <laughs> Who discovers the conquerors. Oh boy. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to look on eBay. This is my time. Um, go on. Go for it. Doctor Who discovers. I also, as I mentioned, the shorts. Oh my God. There's a whole set of them. 15 quid. That's affordable. Buy them right now. <laughs> Well, I'm Buy them my... right now. Maybe I will. We'll see. Um, so the short story we're looking at this uh, episode is from Doctor Who magazine. It is a mm-hmm. short story called Living in the Past by Andy Lane from Doctor Who magazine number 162. It was beautifully illustrated and it is fucking insane. Like, <laughs> Come on, hit me. I've just had, I've just had the Bible thing. Yeah, so it was written by Andy Lane and it was uh, illustrated I want to like credit everyone properly Um, is it right at the fucking beginning of the fucking thing I hate this Uh, uh, oh it was illustrated by Cam Smith and it had immeasurable help from our on the spot dinosaur consultant Steve White so this is a story which introduced Ace to the Doctor Who magazine story Um, and it turned out that the reason she hadn't been in the Doctor Who magazine the whole time is that she'd been in the Cretaceous period having a lovely time making friends with thousands of dinosaurs of course she was that's my girl i love her i bet that she had a fantastic dinosaur best friend to have adventures with yeah so the basic premise is the doctor arrives in mongolia during the cretaceous period to pick up ace who we had dropped off there but along the way he encounters a pit of dolus and an alien slave who has escaped from a nearby construction site ace arrives with a herd of assorted dinosaurs to trample the site destroy it and free the slaves that is the entire plot it is three pages long and it fucking bangs so That's good. The dog, like, she's riding a dinosaur. There's an illustration of her riding a dinosaur. It's incredible. Like the doctor goes, "Do they roll over if you try and tickle them on the belly?" And I'd let you tickle them on the belly. And she goes, "Only if they don't have spiny spiny backs, Professor." Like, that's that's genius that's fantastic that's so good yeah highly recommend doctor who magazine archive on archive.org has the first something like 200 issues of doctor who magazine you should read this one it's fucking great also at the very very beginning there's a little colorized picture of ping cho from marco polo and it's very nice i like ping cho um because they have a nostalgia a nostalgia feature about marco polo where they have people's memories of the serial which will be interesting when we finally watch marco polo <laughs> That's going to be a fun day for everybody involved. It's going to be a fun day for everybody involved. Um, But yeah, that's my Expanded Universe section. (laughs) Thank you. I'm very glad that Ace had a fun adventure with dinosaurs. Yeah. It feels right somehow. Exactly. Right. Rankings. Rankings. Um, I've closed the bloody drive. I did not expect this to be an episode that we ran this long on. (laughs) I did. Fair. It's been a while since we've ran long longer than two hours i think though yeah i think the last one was probably Earthshock. oh that was a great one that was a great one i how do we start this do this x of the week yes hmm Hmm. there's so much um i think i'm I'm gonna go ahead and say that my my x of the week is gonna be style of the week and just take us all the way back to um lesbian beetle sarah jane smith because 
That's a very good choice. My ex. Of the it, week, it made my heart sink. <clears throat> my ex of the week is my best friend of the week for the Apatosaurus. <laughs> my best friend. I love, love. them. I want Perfect. to give them a hug. Look at that big long you neck. You could give it such a good hug. If Ace could hug them, you can hug them. Exactly. You understand. That, that's the code to live by. Yeah. Um, and I can't be bothered to do a funny intro for Blake Seven. So let's okay. find out the six degrees of Blake Seven. Um, this on. week we have a degree of one. Great. Uh, which is John Bennett, General Finch, played Kosa in the Blake 7 episode, Weapon. And he's That's also nice going to feature in our next episode of the podcast. Great. Yay. Oh, boy. He plays oh. Li Shen-chan. Li Shen-chan oh, in Talons of Wang Chang. But Rosie. Chinese character. But Rosie, he's white. Yeah, it's so mysterious how they've done huh. that, isn't it? It's amazing That's... how they really thought they could just cast a white guy as a Chinese character. And do it numerous times across the serial. We're going to have fun next week. Yeah. I get the vague idea that he's like pretending to be Chinese, but that might just be my misremembering of the premise of this serial. Anyway, um, the chess computer in Weapon that is used by Carnell is a chess challenger one from Fidelity Electronics. At the time the series was made, this was an actual top-of-the-line portable dedicated chess computer. And I just want to note that there's also a chess computer in The Thing 1982. Ding, ding, ding. Take a shot. Ding, ding, ding. This is a good one for the bingo. Um... (laughs) The desk lamp seen in the room Coaster and Ra- Rochelle arrive in are from the main mission set of Space 1999. Chris Boucher would use the character of Carnell again in a Doctor Who novel, Corpse Maker, published by the BBC. I keep seeing copies of Corpse Maker in the te- te- television and movie store, actually. But the Bristol one, not the Taunton one. The Taunton one only has the twin dilemma. <laughs> it's basically a twin dilemma. Yeah. I go in, I look at the twin dilemma books, I go out. Um, no, that's a lie. You go in, you look at the twin dilemma books, you send me a selfie with you next to the twin dilemma books, you go out yeah no exactly this is my first <laughs> selfie the last time i was there i just thought i should start selfieing um chris boucher was unhappy with this episode probably because it doesn't sound like it was great um <laughs> i also want to note that one of the actors in this later played the governor in varos okay yeah i thought he so looked was probably familiar. mentioned in in the varos episode yeah um and the woman who played uh ruth had previously been in the celestial toy maker ah. again that that saves you from struggling with the celestial ptolemyco one yeah oh my god i recognize her for a reason she was in fucking a low low she was in a low oh my god i was thinking i recognize this woman i recognize this woman she's from fucking a low low she's renee's <laughs> wife in a low low oh oh i watched like in retrospect embarrassing amounts of that show when i was a kid yeah it was funny yeah it, it was the virgin madonna with the big boobies <laughs> We once went to see, they did like a stage show, the touring stage show, and it was terrible. Oh my Absolutely god. Absolutely terrible. Of course it was. It was in a lower low touring stage show. What did they do? What did they do? Just. I cannot remember anything other than leaving at the interval. That is impressive. This was with my family who we struggled to find any any type of media that everybody would be willing to try and go and see. God. So you went with the lower low live show. Yeah, that says something about my family, doesn't it? Yeah. Did the did the the the, fa- the English guy pretending to be French come in and go, "Good morning." Yeah, I think that's how it started. It was just pissing that's... by the door. That's the only bit I remember, other than the Virgin Madonna with the big boobies. With the big boobies. And the salami that has the Virgin Madonna <laughs> with the big boobies hidden inside. Hello, hello. Uh... For any listeners who don't know, it was a sitcom. <laughs> 
it on the, it the would British never get made today in the 70s or 80s that was like a french resistance sitcom and it has some comedy nazis oh, in it and it has They're, some comedy resistance yeah. members in it and it has a character pretending faking his own death and coming back as his own identical twin brother and it has a virgin madonna with very big boobies that is vital to the war effort uh, oh god it's carefully. definitely i will say this, I shall say only, this once. only once it is i leclerc anyway <laughs> um <laughs> As you can tell, Thank it's you for listening to our Alo Alo fancast. Don't don't start watching Alo Alo in 2022. It's 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 not gonna hold up. It's not. It, gonna it's, hold not up. it's not. Like I'll watch Dad's Army with my parents from time to time. That has a different vibe. I think Dad's Army. At least none of them are putting on awful accents, and none of them are pretending to be Nazis. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the awful French accents are very funny. At the beginning of every episode, when Rennie recounts what the fuck has been going on, he's like, and then we had to save the Virgin Madonna with the big boobies. I sound like Nando. I was going to say, you found your vampire voice. I can only do Nando. Fucking guy. <laughs> Fucking guy. Fucking guy. God, Sam's going to be home in like a week and we can finally watch season three. I'm so excited. You haven't seen season three? No, we had to. We stopped after season two because we knew we wouldn't finish season three. Ah, ah. I know. Anyway, we need to rank this serial out of five. Eight. We're so close to finishing this recording session. Thank God we started early. Thank God. Yeah, honestly, thank God. I would be asleep if we hadn't. Right. This is getting a solid four point five fake spaceships out of five. Maybe. Yes, for me, it is definitely getting um, a hearty. 4.5 Brigadier eye rolls out of 5. Oh, beautiful. Um, oh, we didn't even mention mm. John Pertwee's incredible faces. He was making this whole episode. <sighs> oh my god, he's perfect. He was perfect. He um, was on point. We, anyway. we didn't mention the tangent about John Pertwee's wife's raunchy novel. <laughs> yes! John Pertwee's wife's novel about a sexy 39-year-old slut. <laughs> Whose actor husband then has an affair with her daughter? I think. And there's a banana and it's written in the first person. And she goes to Ibiza. It's really flatly written. She goes to Ibiza for six weeks to hook up with a good-for-nothing-but sex boy. <laughs> I need to get a copy of Ingeborg Pertwee's novels. She wrote other books. She wrote, like, two novels and then three cookbooks. <laughs> oh, uh, incredible. That's actually iconic. Like, she and John Pertwee were married for, like, 39 years after he divorced Jean Marsh. I always forget he was mm-hmm. married to Jean Marsh for five years. <laughs> They they met at a ski resort. We got to do the overall ranking. I think it's oh pretty God. high. I would put it. Ooh. Now, as a reminder to the listener, our top five is currently Remembrance of the Daleks, Power of the Daleks, Battlefield, The Demons, and The Mutants. And then we've got the film of the novel of the film. Yes, I think it is above the film of the novel of the film for me. As much as I love yeah. the film and the novel of the film. You know I, I love think the film and the novel of the film. I have recency bias for the film, so yeah, I think you're probably right. <laughs> I think... Um, is it better than The Mutants? That is such a hard question for me. That's a my really brain, hard question. They're really equivalent. They're different, but they have similar goals. And we could also, actually rank them as joint. There's nothing stopping us having a joint ranking. We make the rules. There is nothing stopping us from having a joint ranking. But also I feel like we should be able to separate things. If we're separating, I think I got more out of The Mutants than I got out of this. Okay. Solid. Cool. So we're going for number six. Is... Yes. Number six, Invasion of the Dinosaurs. And now I will get Gallifrey thingy me up for the Mighty 200. Gallifrey Matrix. I hope, 
I hope that they do this justice. And just for next week, because we will forget, the talents of Wang Chang is number four on this ranking. <laughs> I genuinely oh, might go away after this and watch the talents of Wang Chang. Just so I I'm not gonna watch it. it tonight because I don't have the brain space. That is completely legitimate. I've noticed that if I watch I it any more than a day before recording, I forget what happens. Right. Where do we so. think Invasion of the Dinosaurs? I'm gonna guess I'd say it's probably like thirty. I'm gonna guess 30. Oh, 30 and 32. Okay. Let's okay. see. Okay, okay. Oh, oh God. Oh, Please no. Please give us 31. What? Oh, my God. Oh, dear. 131. 131. No. Okay, that's wrong. That's I'm objectively gonna... wrong. It's because of the dinosaurs. It's because the people think the dinosaurs look bad. Tragic. Once again, to quote Lily from the Discord, <laughs> people think it's bad because of the dinosaurs, but actually it fucks severely. That's an accurate, that's an accurate summary of it. Yes, yep. thank you, Lily, from the Discord. I appreciate you. Friend um, of the show. Yes, friend of the show, Lily, from the Discord. Um, yeah, that is uh, above Aliens of London and below Revenge of the Cybermen and Claws of Axos. This is so much better than Claws of Axos. This I is significantly explode. better than Claws of Axos. Well, I think that you're going to have to take the energy to Talons of Wang Chiang. Yep, so thank you very much for listening to our lovely oh, podcast. Oh, thank you. Listeners. I've had an absolute blast. Yes, our lovely podcast, Reversing Polarity, a Doctor Who fancast, in which we reviewed some very, very good dinosaurs and discussed some very, very bad politics. Uh, <laughs> please, if you have the time, rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you can rate or review. Let your friends know about how wonderful this podcast is and please try and bully them into listening to it because we always want more listeners. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can at PolarityPod or on Tumblr at PolarityPod.tumblr.com. My Twitter is at dot Sayers and Ames is at Aim Tells Stories. That's A-Y-M Tell Stories. Um, I'm sorry, I have a weird name. It's, I love I it. I just want to make sure that people see your tweets because they're very good. And Thank please you. join us next time when we will be covering our very first Leela story, Oh my god, we get Leela! Okay, something to look forward to. Possibly I'm going to have to watch Talons quite soon, because otherwise I'm not going to watch. We'll just put off recording forever. Forever. (laughs)